The Koi Gig Pod has made a new signing. Your goalkeeping coach is your god. Emma Byrne is joining Kathleen and Karen this season. Keep up to date with all the WSL action every Tuesday and subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's half past seven. It is Tuesday morning. It's International Week. I don't know how everybody's feeling about the Republic of Ireland at the moment. Uh, Nathan characterised it as like, ah, oh, first part of the week, everybody doesn't really care because there's a hangover from the Premier League games. And then as the matches happen, they're literally the most important things in the world. And everybody starts to tear the team apart. And then the team play well. They're like, oh, we, we had your back all along. Uh, is that how your week is going this week? Is that how everybody expects it to go? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a, at least there's an optimism and an excitement for Irish games at the minute. Like uh, there was so many years there, barren years where we almost dreaded international breaks. Like they were the worst thing ever invented. There um, were so many windows, like the last one, where things went very pear shaped at the start and then yeah. finished well. It was like, <laughs> yeah, oh no. But at least now we have, well. at least now we have arguments over the team. For for years it was there are our eleven best players and we have. Very few other players, so it was. I, I like the fact that we have arguments now. Well, there was always there was always a plus one. There was always uh, an Andy Reid or a Wes who, you know, and the young players, the the Quins of the world, who were like in their thirties, that um, Dunphy had decided he's my guy. He's my new yeah. Liam Brady. He's my new Dave O'Leary. And so he's my guy. Yeah, um, and at least there's interesting strands around the Irish player. Like the Abafemi stuff at club level is very interesting. The Nathan Collins getting sent off, and I really, really enjoyed the behind the scenes FAI clip of James McLean going at him. And like they're all hugging. I always watch these behind the scenes clips for some reason. It's, I didn't see this. So good. It's like a behind the curtain look at the at the team meeting, meeting up in the camp for the first time this yeah. week. And uh, McLean walks up to uh, to Nathan Collins and. <laughs> He's like, would you ever just walk off the pitch? And he's, he's like, oh. The way Nathan Collins essentially was protesting his innocence, it seemed to take Nathan Collins 10 minutes to get off the pitch because he was either just or... I got the ball. Yeah, well, that was his original instinct to claim that he got the ball, which was, a, by all accounts, a ridiculous thing to say because uh, it was a terrible tackle. But um, I think he was just disappointed in himself that he had missed time to tackle so badly, maybe. But, uh, yeah, McLean was, was really ribbing, ribbing him about um, taking so long to get off the pitch and... The Except great, your red card. The great kung fu kicks of Irish football history. There's obviously Jason McAteer, and now there's Nathan Collins. Are there any others? I don't think so. That's that's the great two. The Keane probably got a few into Mark Overmars that day as well. Well, I would say uh, that was a just slight. good tackle. Yeah, just a good tackle, of course. Uh, Keane obviously kicked. Was it a Russian player up the hole in his in? Was it in McCarthy's the first game that he played for McCarthy? He gets sent off. I think we're being beaten 3 0. And he just turns around to somebody, boots him up the hole, yeah. and just walks off. You can before the red card gets shown. Yeah, At least yeah. in my head, that's it. Could have, could have been a different red card. You, that, you can understand it. Um, Kevin Gaban got a call out from uh, Stephen Kenny. Did he? For, 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 no, he was actually discussing. Um, I had the quote here. So he was, talk, he was asked about Andy Lyons, I think, um, and, and how close he would be to a, to a call up. And he then, he then pinpointed Neil Ferruja as the player with Shamrock Rovers that he's most got his eye on. But uh, when he was describing Farouja, he said he has the characteristics because he has that sort of Kevin Kilban athleticism that he can run 100 yards with that long stride and height, but he also has a high level of skill. He could do anything. So, yeah, interested to hear Killer get the get the call out from Stephen Kenny all these years later. Yeah, um, I think maybe because uh, I just, for whatever reason we underappreciate the career that Kevin had. Yeah. It was it was it was the first the first Irish footballer I think that I got really starstruck meeting myself and my dad used to I used to well force dad to stay behind we used to get the dart to our cousins in Colester after the match but 
we would get the last dart because I'd be dying to get autographs off the entire team. And uh, I still remember walking up to Kevin Kilban and calling him Kilban and screaming his name until he signed my thing. Uh, and Dad was Dad said to me afterwards, "You have to call them by their first name. His name is Kevin." Especially when you're 22 and six foot four, like yeah, you are. Exactly. It was kind of embarrassing for me at that point. But um, no, I was obviously a kid. But it, it was. That was the first time I realised footballers had first names. Yeah. I, thought, I just thought that Kilban. Well, I mean, that's what you see on TV, so why would you? Exactly. So uh, I r- then realised that they were human beings like the rest of us and uh, fallible. Nathan's going to pick his team for us um, a little bit later on. Uh, we had Johnny Ward pick his team yesterday, and then unfortunately the news came through that Andrew Omobamadeli is injured and won't be playing. Mm. Uh, there's two things. What would your team be and what will Stephen Kenny's team be? <laughs> These are different <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I think that if I was in charge of the team, I'd be rolling the dice and picking the young lads. But obviously, Omar Bowndelli's out, so... You see, he's not going to pick all of the young lads. So you're looking at... Well, Collins and Egan are guaranteed in the team. So then you're looking at Duffy, Coleman and O'Shea for the other spot. I know, uh, like... Uh, who's playing right wing back? Uh, well, he's his favourite Matt Doherty when he's been available. Who's playing left wing back? McLean. Is he? That's uh, it, nailed down now. It's his, his spot. I'd be putting McLean in. That'd be that's my that's my team, but um, yeah, Nathan might think otherwise. But uh, like, I think he has him in his team as well. I'd I'd almost have like Darrow Shea in <laughs> with Collins and Egan, but I don't think that's what what Stephen Kenny's going to do. Um, it seemed in training yesterday that he, he pulled Seamus Coleman aside for ten or fifteen minutes, was chatting to him. I know the the journalists that were there kind of reported that the training was split into into two sessions. The first session was the one the journalists were allowed to see, and that seemed to be the session with players who haven't been playing for club quite regularly even Nathan Collins as well because he was sent off was, was included in that group um, and then the group that followed was maybe players who are, are getting a bit more game time at club level so it's interesting I love those little strands of training where you're tr- trying to decipher what does Stephen Kenny mean by all this and obviously y- y- you can read whatever you want into him chatting to Seamus Coleman for a while but that's probably just because Coleman is one of the more experienced members of the team but I I think he's going to pick Coleman um, I'd have Darrow Shea but I think he's going to go with Coleman maybe yeah, I- Everybody seems to assume now that Coleman won't play as a wing-back for us again, that he's, yeah. he's uh, one of the three. At, and maybe that's the case. I don't know. I, I think there's room for I think there's room for Coleman on the right and Doherty on the left. I thought when they did that, the team played really well. Worked for a while, yeah. You know, yeah so yeah. there's no reason why we wouldn't be able to try that again. And that's why I was thinking that when we had the, the three younger centre-backs. But you can still have Collins... And Darrow Shea and John Egan, I think, which would be excellent, and then yeah. still have Coleman on the right wing back position. And it depends. Like, what what is the threat coming down the left wing from Scotland? We're going to get the view from Scotland over the next couple of days to see. Um, you know, like it's not. It's. I mean, it, it, it could still be very good. But uh, it was funny listening to Brian Kerr on, on on Sunday with Joe after the the Everton game, and like he he was asked about the, you know, do you pick players on form or do you pick players? just because they've given a lot for inter- at international level and have done good things in recent games uh, but there's such a big gap between international windows but Kerr was of the opinion that club form is only is only important to a certain degree you need players who can play with this Irish team in a certain way in this Irish system like Shane Duffy has only played like he joined Fulham looking for game time and he's I think he's played two minutes of the first seven games for Fulham this season which isn't great um, so he'll obviously be disappointed with that but there's no reason why Duffy can't be included in the Irish team like Scott Hogan is someone who's underachieved in the green jersey by all accounts and his performances haven't been great but Kenny asked, was asked about him this week and he said he's different now he's, he's, he's more consistent with his performances he's, he's probably physically in a better place than he was in previous international windows and he's banging in goals for Birmingham so 
I'm not saying Scott Hogan's going to start by any stretch, but well, he didn't. He, you know, he didn't put him in the squad for no reason. Yeah. Um, well, on form Ogbenya starts, you would imagine. He, like, obviously, Rotherham is a different level to international football, but he seems every time he plays for Ireland to be to be in a good place. Obafemi's not playing football, but then do you put him in because of what we're, we know he's capable of? It's funny because the. Uh, his club manager said, "Hopefully he'll go away with Ireland and come back the player we know he can be." Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you know you're thinking longer term here and having Michael Obafemi in the team and scoring goals and using the international window as a springboard to get back in the team. Like, yeah. So it's, it, it's there's, a, there's a lot to take in. But even the Pat Nevin last night talking about the Scottish system and team, and they would have been disappointed the last time they played in Dublin, of course, and they were kind of coming off the back of that tough Ukraine game as well, so they were in, in, a, in, a, in a tough place. We know Scotland play Ukraine tomorrow night, so maybe they'll be leggy again on Saturday, who knows, but Scotland are probably weakest and have the least selection uh, headaches in centre-half and centre-forward, where, ironically, Ireland seem to have the most uh, you know options at the minute. So, yeah, it's funny, the Scottish, and even Andy Robertson, you think when you immediately hear that news, Andy Robertson's going to be missing at left-back yeah. for Scotland, you're like, oh, that's a, this is great, but there's so many options at left-back. They do. It doesn't matter. Tierney's going to be it. Yeah, so maybe you do need a lot more pace and uh, high energy and high intensity in that. Or, or maybe, I don't know, does he pick Chidesi Bene as our right wing-back, considering that's where he's played a lot of club football, and go, okay, this is where you're going to be for Ireland from now on, because we are going to use you as an attacking threat to pin the opposition back. Mm, possibly. Try something different. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Give, us, give us your teams uh, in the YouTube comments. You can do that. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Um, we have Gareth A. Davis going to join us to talk to us about the eventual Fury-Joshua fight, which we think is going to happen in December. There's also uh, Ben Eubank. Is this round three, round four in the family uh, fights. The Ireland 15 with Nathan at 8.15. We'll talk about that. Sports pages, John Duggan at 8.40. Some highlights in the weekend as well. Conor O'Brien is going to talk to us about his injury, uh, which has forced his retirement. And we'll play some Graham Hunter from last night talking about the horrific racism that Vinicius Jr. suffered at the weekend at the hands of Atletico Madrid fans. The Madrid mayor has come out in the last 24 hours and said that they want to deal with this. So uh, hopefully there is a movement growing in Spain to finally begin to tackle the um, uh, the racist abuse that goes on in all sporting uh, stadiums in Spain, um, we've we've seen it in Formula One, we're seeing it in football, and there hasn't been any significant effort to tackle it in the past. So fingers crossed that that's about to change. It's seven forty this morning. Uh, morning, lads. Didn't Roy tread on Southgate once? Says Chris Cal. He did. Yeah, it was more. It was a stamp. Yeah, and Southgate great. had the temerity to tackle him. Like who? What? What are you doing? Yeah. I kind of like that. I kind of like when players stood up to Roy Keane a little bit and, and weren't afraid to, to go for it. Because um, it was a rare thing to see them actually respond in any in any fashion. But yeah, Southgate was one of those. They have a good relationship now, obviously. In the they, they seem to have, yeah. Um, he was he was he was a little guy, Keane, really, compared to some of the other lads. <laughs> Napoleon syndrome is that what you were saying? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because Jonathan Walters was always like. Why were people scared of him? Why, why were people scared of him? What was he going to do? Beat I, you up? I actually think it is the Cork accent. I'm not going to lie. I like Colm in the in the box will will enjoy this one, but the, there is something about the Cork accent that makes it the most intimidating accent accent of the 32 counties in Ireland. I think there's probably you're probably looking at me thinking the border accents are are relatively intimidating as well. Right. Um, not the the hard Belfast accent. Well, so, yeah. With, with with some, you know. Yeah, the hard Belfast accent, sorry. that's. I say this with... Uh, <laughs> you've got you obviously got Antrim blood, so you're, you're allowed to say this. But, like, certainly people quail when they hear the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Antrim one is, is certainly intimidating. But, but there's something about the high-pitched cork. It's when Keane gets really 
annoyed in it. The well, ranting, ranting, shaved headed man is is different from like normal. Normally, it's like a soft lilt. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, it depends what he's saying. What what's what? Um, I was speaking to an intercounty hurler uh, recently who was like, oh, we, we we think Cork have gone soft." And for the last decades, the Cork hurlers have basically been soft. I'd say basically since the Rock retired, that that's that perception, and they all speak like that. So true, yeah. Cork people listening, you can respond on the YouTube um, to Jerry's assertion there. Um, like I don't know, I don't know. I, I just think there's some, maybe it's just simply Roy Keane. But I but I think when Damien Delaney gets a little bit annoyed at you know when he's on the punditry and something's grinding his gears, he uh, he all of a sudden kicks into a fairly intimidating version of himself. David Myler's probably the same. There's there's there's, there's something good about it. I, I enjoy it. I love the Cork accent. By the way, I love the Cork accent for anyone who thinks I'm giving out. You're welcome, Colin. But um, you've opened a can of worms there. I have. Uh, right. The other thing we need to talk about is um, county managers need to be paid professionals, and no longer via the black market. This is your county man, Dick Clark, and your club man now. I think. Well, yeah. Like he's a, he's a, a current man from Holmes. He's a, he's an uncle of uh, Jack McCarran's. Who Jack McCarran is still playing uh, club uh, club football for Curran, but uh, he's living in Mon and Town now. Dick and his kids are, are involved in Mon and Harps, my own club. But interesting. Interesting views. Like he's pointing out the fact that obviously Donegal, Roscommon, and Monaghan, three of the Division One teams, still looking for a manager. Um, he says the, in, the the issue in Monaghan seems to be lack of interest in qualified candidates, which I find fascinating at the minute because all three of those jobs are pretty good jobs. They're Division One teams next year in the league, and you could argue that all three of them will be aiming to win their own provinces. Um, Monaghan might be on the way down. I'm Donegal might be on the way down. Yeah, I, I've been very, very optimistic about Monaghan heading into to usual seasons. Uh, I'm not optimistic at all. And that's common might have peaked. So if you if you're a manager who's thinking I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to something else, yeah, how do you actually overachieve versus what? Now I think maybe Donegal, like you know, listening to um, to Boner last week was like, Jesus, they were pretty close. You know, mm-hmm. like the the penalty and the red card. Versus Tyrone. Tyrone then get their shit together and go on and win the All-Ireland. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Donegal were going to go and win the All-Ireland, but they would have caused trouble for anybody if they'd got out of... If they'd gone that same same direction, they yeah. would have been completely underrated. Well, if you're if you're a manager looking at Monaghan and Donegal, you're thinking, OK, from an All-Ireland series perspective, you've got Kerry, who are ultra-dominant. You've got the Dubs now with Manny and, and Jack back in, who are... That, that's just going to take them to the next level. Um and then in Ulster, you've got the rising forces of Derry and Armagh and other counties who you would think are like that. That's not even talking about Tyrone and Donegal, but it's um, yeah, it's it's a snake pit. It's 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 a t- there are tough problems to get out of. Uh, maybe look, Dick's, Dick's point is that the issues are increasing demands on inter-county managers. It's not easy. That maybe managers need to be paid. He says he, he puts a figure on. He says he could get twenty grand easily if he was to take up some of the offers that he's that he's had. Now, obviously, that's all off the books, you know. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if there are inter-county officer, offers or if there. Uh, the mix of club and I think club and county, like he's he, a man in demand. He's a man of demand, and he, he's gonna he, like maybe he's putting himself out there. Um, <coughs> maybe he wants the job because even he says there he talks. Well, he says he couldn't do it at the moment because he's because he's, uh, of his kids and his underage coaching with the club and yeah, yeah. his business. Well, that's fair, but I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know how intercounty managers ever have the time. Um, 
as well as a full-time job. It's just, it's one of those things that you need to give your entire life and being to the, to the position. Because even even now in the off-season, it's September, the, the season doesn't start until what, January, February, but they're all having to go to, to club matches and watch club games constantly. Um, like you saw Desi Farrell watching the club games in Dublin at the weekend. Every single inter-county manager is out there doing it. Um, so yeah, look, do county managers need to be paid? They're already paid to a certain degree um, and there's very generous well, diesel expenses you'd imagine as well. I know but loads, loads of them aren't getting paid like, and you do have to you do have to have reached a certain stage in your life where you're okay to take on that and you know like um, listening to various people talking about the demands like Derry McGraw was talking about you know I need to spend some time with my family it's like actually you do you know yeah. you're, you're not spending any time with your family at all if you have a job and you're an inter-county manager because you're getting home if you're lucky you're having some food you're saying hello to people and then you're gone again for the evening and you're like, pl- yeah, you're planning sessions, and you're you're it's 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 a full it is a full time job in its own in its own sense without without the pay. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the answer is paying intercounty managers. I, I know a lot of players seem to be against the idea of of any sense of semi professionalism or professionalism coming into the game. Most of them, but it has to be done right. My da- my dad is a big proponent of um, transfer windows in the in the GA, and 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 counties being allowed maybe two or three players not from within the county which would be interesting but I don't know if that's the way forward either well, they, they did it in Hurling obviously where, but only for the, the lower tier teams yeah is he like so I don't think Monaghan would benefit from this no this is the thing there might be a situation where like some of your best players move to Dublin for work and then suddenly start playing yeah kicking and 15 points Conor McManus wins his All-Ireland with I mean, Dublin or 6 yeah and you're all yeah. like I'm delighted for you well done yeah 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 Great. congratulations yes it's and, and G is, is so parochial as well that people you know you enjoy playing for your club and, and, and there's just there's a different element to it like I was at club games the weekend as well at home and you'd almost forget that there are there is constant GEA happening at the minute. Now, obviously, TG Carr showing the games last weekend at the Dublin Championship and elsewhere, which is great. But um, we need to probably be hammering home the fact that there are serious level of, of club championship games. And uh, if you'd looked at, looked at club championship 10, 15, 20 years ago and, and someone had told you the level at which it would be at now, it's just ridiculous. Some of these players aren't far off inter-county levels of com- commitment. So it's, it's I don't know where it's going to end. Where's the, where's the plateau here? Like, I don't know. That's, I think the plateau is that it might end up ironically becoming a game for like the very rich and the very young. Like, <laughs> you know, you've you've made your fortune in your early twenties, and so therefore you can dedicate your life to playing Gaelic football yeah, or, or hurling as a hobby. Like that's you know the the old patrician conservative the way sport was for amateurs because well we're so rich we don't need to work you know why, why would we get paid for this that's, yeah, that's yeah. how the Brits wanted sport to be in the 1800s not um, and not then uh, the rest of us got an opportunity to play and was like hang on a second should we not get paid for this yeah 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 proper um, money like Jimmy Garoppolo money Jer you want to talk about Jimmy G I just wanted to I just like these numbers like the numbers were kind of <laughs> I was actually I was googling last night uh, what are the crown jewels worth um, because I was, I was the, the funeral was obviously Hello. flickering across the, the <laughs> flickering across the TV yesterday, and I was like, "What is? What are those three the orbs and the orb and the spectre and the the crown itself?" Someone has estimated that the crown is that actual crown itself with all those stolen diamonds is about thirty five million pounds at a very cons- very conservative estimate, but that the crown jewels themselves in it, in their entirety are about three point five billion, so um, worth a few quid. But Jimmy Garoppolo, so. We all know that Trey Lance has kind of taken the mantle of, of your own beloved 49ers. So the, the 49ers traded uh, 
three picks to be able to select Trey Lance in the draft two seasons ago didn't play at all last year Jimmy G held him off and yeah. took the team to within like five minutes of appearing in the Super Bowl which would have been his second Super Bowl appearance and then they were like okay we're handing the keys over to you and Jimmy Jimmy G's available for trade but yeah. he did his shoulder and got surgery and so nobody wanted him because he's got a he got a gimpy shoulder yeah. and then Trey Lance does his ankle on the third play of the second match and he's yeah. gone for the season. Literally in the first quarter. And, and as it turns out, the fact that uh, Trey Lance did his ankle in the first quarter worked out financially very, very well for Jimmy G because his, uh, his, this revised deal for the base salary, as I was saying earlier, 26.62 million it was, down to 6.5 million. But this contract laden with incentives you've got. So because of the, the win over the Seahawks on Sunday, he has to play 25% of the offensive snaps in a game to earn $250,000. Uh, and because, because of course Lance went off in the first quarter he played 79% he's going to play every game every minute now this is the thing and he gets uh, for winning the game another $100,000 so that's $350,000 for the win on Sunday that's that's aside from the uh, $29,000 for every game he's on the active roster that maxes out at half a million he maxes out this new contract at 15.45 million so even with all these incentives he can only per Jimmy max out at 15.45 million dollars but uh I mean, <laughs> the money is just astounding. No, like obviously the figures of of other players in the NFL probably dwarf this in some regards as well. I just thought that from an incentives point of view, to be involved in a quarter of the offensive snaps and get a quarter of a million for yourself on a night's work, and then to win the game and get a hundred grand, it's all right. It's not bad. Um, the only thing is that, like, so the six million a year, right? Oh, six million a year it sounds great, but it's one hundred and fifteen grand a week. So every footballer who earns yeah. one hundred and fifty grand a week is getting paid more than Jimmy G. Well, that, yeah, when you put it like that. Luca, yeah, yeah. Luca Dean. <laughs> yeah. It's a fair point. Um, tax obviously comes into this as well, but I mean... when California you, taxes aren't great. Yeah. Luca Dean, 9.3 million a year. Right. Guaranteed. Yeah, you see, you forget that the because the footballers' wages are in per week, you forget to add them up and, and ask yourself, what is that in the year again? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, of course, the NFL teams have like um, active rosters of 53 men and then the practice squad have an extra 13, 14 after that. So, um, But the Jimmy G's going to be passing the ball to uh, Debo Samuel, who will be earning, on average, 21 million a year for the next four years. I like the, the bonuses those get, those lads get as well. I'm sure if per catch they're they're earning something. Well, the the wide receivers are all trying to get guaranteed money now. The other right. thing is this isn't guaranteed. The, the 49ers can basically cut Jimmy G and, and they'll have to pay him the six million. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, if they, guaranteed at, at any point if they decide they don't like the um, the cut of his jib, but uh, the the wide receivers are smart enough not to get paid by the catch because. You, you drop a ball you, someone smashes into you it's a lot you, of pressure on the you catch, rupture your spleen way. and you can't play it's like no my money is fully guaranteed or at least yeah. the, the portions of it that's guaranteed is between 50 and 60 million and then there's another 20 in incentives that you just have to show up to Jesus and also the most um, handsome man in sport Jimmy G potentially um, Livia Giroud will have probably be dialing into the show now but Jimmy G is certainly the most handsome man in, in sport. I would you're you're accidentally listening into a power ranking of the most handsome handsome. Uh, we should actually do that. We should do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, suggestions, please, in the YouTube channel. Damien says, "Sorry, guys, but you're normalising obscene and immoral wages." Hmm. I think by highlighting it, I'm pointing out how obscene and ridiculous they are, comparing uh, them to the crown jewels. Are they obscene? Are they obscene and ridiculous? Uh, are they like uh, so? Um, you know well yeah they are but why, why so one of the things you want to talk about was like what would you queue to go and see yeah right well the, queen, the queen's 24 hour queues at one point had me thinking what sporting event would I queue that length for 
and probably well this so let let's say you're a 49ers fan and the 49ers are going to uh they're they're 6 and 0 or 8 and 0 and like tickets are gold dust yeah the person making all the money from the tickets being gold dust is the owner yeah not the players even though the players are creating the value like True. the the reason that footballers get paid is because they and any sport the reason that any sports person gets paid the amount of money that they get paid is because we're dying to see them do it and they're doing things we can't do. Like, Fair. Yeah, does everybody skill. think it was obscene the amount of money that uh, that an artist makes when he plays a concert for five nights that like the whole country loses its mind over? Is it obscene? You've given us entertainment value. Like and people were willing to pay fifty quid for that. But I think you can I think you can use the word obscene while also accepting that. Matt Brooks okay, made Jimmy Garoppolo okay. money. Yeah, it's fine. And, and, but it's like uh, like I think it's obscene but I also I can see why they're paid. I can see why, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo has made a certain wage his entire career. Lionel Messi has made a certain wage his entire career. I can I can understand that. Luca and Dean, you've got a problem with Luca Dean. I might have an issue with, um, but then again, Luca Dean, if you if you if you threw him into a Sunday league match or any level beneath the Premier League, you'd be like, what a player this guy is. Do you know, he's still an extremely talented and skillful individual at what he does. Um, anyone in the Premier League is, but yeah, it's it's still an obscene amount of money. And to hear Shane Lowry coming out. Uh, after after his recent win in Wentworth was was quite um, heartwarming, saying that the money was just ridiculous that he's earned um, from that win. But then again, you you, you don't you wouldn't want to take it off him because he's he's earned it. Do you know, it's it's not easy. It's not live golf money, but um, it's still good money. Give us your views on this. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, well, here's Pat Nevin talking with Joe last night about uh, giving us the Scottish perspective ahead of this weekend's game in Glasgow. We're back after this. What uh, Scotland are we headed towards on Saturday? Well, that's the one we're all desperate to see. I was at the Aviva that day. Um, fresh off my fantastic weekend in Carlo, which you can't forget. Oh yeah. Um, and Stevie Clark's got an amazing amount out of that group of players. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not exactly a golden generation, but it's a very strong generation that Scotland have got just now. Um, so the, the shock of the poor performance against Ireland was really, really quite stunning. Now, he's, he's still got a decent amount of capital you know, in the bank, Stevie Clark, but there, there was a few mumblings around saying, well, is that it? Is that as far as we've gone? Is that golden run where Scotland got a lot of luck as well you know especially get to get through to the Euros so there is a concern and the game against Ireland I, I don't think it has been disrespectful because of the reasons you've just given me there because of the players that are playing at the top level in England the expectation wasn't for Scotland to, to be the second best team by a distance mm-hmm. in that game and by a good distance in that game so this is a huge one uh, for Scotland and Stevie Clark uh, they need to get the best out of it Robertson's not available I don't think no. um, but seeing as we are coming down with fullbacks, we're not over worried about that mm. at the moment um, because Hickey can play there, but obviously Tierney's fine for there as well. So we're actually okay with that. Problem Scotland's got is we we can look a bit a bit soft up front, and Jay Adams is a very good technical player. But after that, you start really struggling a little bit to get you know Christie's very Christie, good player. There are good players there, but. An out-and-out striker. All you need to do is look at the top level of Scottish football and say, right, OK, where's the strikers? And they're not Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> Generally not Scottish. And then you look down south, how all our players that are playing down south, the in centre-forwards. And uh, if there's two areas that Scotland have struggled at, it's at centre-back and centre-forward to really get something special together. And 
I don't think that's any different now. And I think Ireland will be acutely aware of that. Mm. So it's going to be a tough one for Scotland. And again, good news. We're playing Ukraine again just before. <laughs> We're playing Ukraine Wednesday night. So Jeez. setting the stars uh, to see how that one will go. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. But I expect a lot better from uh, Stevie Clark's side this time. It's uh, Pat and Evan there. And uh, Michael says, I met Pat at Boris House. Sound fella, no doubt. Uh, one of the Carlo and Evans, of course. A great sporting family across different codes. 087-9180-180 is the number if you want to get in touch with us by text or WhatsApp this morning. I'm delighted to say Gareth A. Davis is back with us. Gareth, good morning to you. How are you? Very good morning, Jar and Shane. Good morning. Uh, we are excited, we think, about the prospect of one of the most eagerly anticipated fights of the last decade finally being made and we're just very close to it there's like a finger hovering over the button but the button as far as we know has yet to be pressed what's your understanding of where we are with regards to the fight actually finally being made well between Fury and Joshua obviously um, uh, well we hope the the fight goes ahead and we hope that it will be signed this week I mean uh, woulda shoulda coulda um, I, I won't believe it I've remain sceptical about it until they genuinely sign the contract and, and, you know, we have a press conference saying that these guys are going to step in a ring together. Um, we're told it's December the 3rd, Principality Stadium in Cardiff. As you say, it'll be a massive occasion if it does happen. I, I, I do tend to think that it's maybe a bluff that Fury made, you know, a couple of weeks ago that's kind of gone right um, and a series of fortuitous events would get them in the ring together it, it makes sense in a lot of ways um, for Anthony Joshua to take it and it, it, it makes sense for him not to take it as well but um, I really hope it's going to get over the line it's a massive fight over here uh, one that looked a long long way away when, when Joshua lost twice to Alexander Usyk but the way that Certainly the algorithm in, in heavyweight boxing is very weird. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if it falls apart, but it wouldn't surprise me if it happens, if I can put it like that. What do you think is... Um, let, let's start with Joshua's side of it. What's his motivation for getting in against Fury at this stage of his career? Well, look, he's lost three of his last five. He's desperately frustrated with himself that he lost those two fights to Alexander Usyk. I was out there in Saudi Arabia. It was a much improved performance. Sorry, I'm, I set my alarm at the wrong time. That's all right. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, but the, um, the, 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 he was desperately disappointed with himself for the loss to um, to Usyk in, in in Saudi Arabia. It was a terrible performance a year earlier in in at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium here in London. Um, and I think he knows that Tyson Fury could have fought Alexander Usyk and kind of walked away and no one would have had a doubt that, or, or there wouldn't have been enough doubt there that people would debate it, oh, Joshua might have beaten Fury and he could have walked away potentially and, and not boxed again Fury and, and, and probably would have ended up as the dominant figure in the era. Um, so... The fact he gets the opportunity to fight Fury is one thing, and and he probably believes he can beat Fury. So there's a kind of there's a parallel route there where it's it's kind of there's a lot of jeopardy there for him. There's a lot of risk. He's really rolling the dice because conventional boxing wisdom would say, don't come, don't fight your toughest fight when you're on the back of two losses. Um, but 
if he takes it now, he, obviously he's earning really well from it, and he wins. And as Eddie Hearn told me last week, he's God again. You know, he's God. Um, I don't think he beats Fury now. Um, but, yeah, again, I think those two things, it's a chance to fight Fury that he might never have, and it's a chance to get back and win the WBC belt, of course, the belt he's never won, but a chance to beat Fury. So um, I, I think that's the... That's the drive for him. That's the motivation. In terms of the actual matchup itself, right? You, you said conventional wisdom is about not fighting after the, the two successive defeats. I think conventional wisdom would suggest that people think that whatever skills Usyk have has, Fury also has, except he's also just a much bigger man. So there's a possibility he gets dominated in this fight. And while if he wins, he's God. If he loses badly, could that be the end? We're certainly close to the end game. There's no doubt about it. It's close to an end game, but there's still, he's still a massive commodity in the boxing world. He's still a huge draw. People will, I think Frank Warren and, um, Eddie Hearn, the, the rival promoter on both, both sides of the, uh, of the negotiation believe it'll do 2 million pay-per-view buys. I don't disagree with them at all. Um, I mean, you know, and if it's, if it ignites even more. And they, they, they really build it. They haven't got long, remember. Um, but I, I think it will be a big fight. And like you say, if 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 Joshua is embarrassed in the fight um, and he's popped by Fury's jab and Fury dominates him and, and, and beats him up and stops him in six, seven, eight rounds, then, then it could be a tough road for, for Joshua. But I still think there's a Deontay Wilder fight there and a, a Dillian White fight. I th- think there's still an appetite there he's earned, he will have earned hundreds of millions anyway um, by the time he's fought Fury. I think people will be interested in a Dillian White fight and a Deontay, Deontay Wilder fight with Joshua is a shootout, and Dillian White and 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 Joshua has all the kind of fire. It's got there's a fire under it because they don't like each other. So there's still a couple of fights there, but that kind of that. The redemption road is, is December the third. It's 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 getting over the bridge to Cardiff. Um, that that that's the redemption night for me. He did perform a hell of a lot better in Saudi Arabia against Yusuf, and in the ninth round, um, he was brilliant and he went for it. And I had him five four at that point. I know a lot of people don't agree with those that scoring, but Joshua put on a much better performance. His problem is his boxing IQ, and he's admitted that. He wishes he'd had a longer amateur pedigree. And as you rightly say, Fury's a tricky opponent. Six foot nine, elusive, um, in and out, um, almost in a trance when he fights. But in some ways, might be less elusive. Just to give a little bit of open door for Joshua, he may be a slightly easier opponent than a tricky southpaw because he's orthodox for Joshua. So it's a good... Look, we're all excited by it, aren't we? We want the fight to be signed. It'd be amazing to see. A year and a half ago, it was the the richest, probably the richest fight we've ever seen in British boxing. Um, It's still close to being that now, probably worth £80 million. So please, let's get it over the line. Gareth, I've heard the argument made uh, regarding Joshua that you know he has so many business interests outside the ring as well that, that he has to focus on and, and give time to. And look, without diving into the realm of, of excuses territory for Joshua here, and, and fair play to him for having all those business interests, but if you're fighting someone like Tyson Fury, 
it's really tough from a boxing perspective to have your thoughts anywhere else outside the ring. Is that something that he's going to have to maybe put to put to one side if he has a fight like this coming up? Yeah, I mean, look, look, look how we are with him, though. You know, um, he's got too many interests. Um, the, he, he's so easy to criticise, and yet he's done so little wrong other than lose three fights, and he avenged one of them against Andy Ruiz. I find myself thinking about that with him that. You know, he had 36, 36 odd amateur fights before he won the Olympic super heavyweight gold a decade ago, pretty much a decade ago to the day. Um, it, well, it was no, it was, it was August, wasn't it? But the, the he's earned hundreds of millions of, of pounds. He's he, he's done nothing wrong in ten years. He's been an emblematic of a great period in boxing. Um, he's definitely brought boxing to the fore in 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 in, in this country and you know and for lots of other boxers he's been very much a gravy train um i'm told that he is really dedicated behind the scenes we don't see a lot of him by the way we only see him in fight weeks and you know in the odd training day you know they're, they're very much less is more i i don't i have i just think that he's I just think that he's come up against... There's a couple of guys in, in this generation, in, in this boxing era, in Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury, who have greater skills than him. And I think at the very elite level, at the very top, where changing the pattern of a fight or changing the pattern of a game, whatever it is, relies on a brilliance. Um, he's just fallen short with his boxing abilities. I don't, I don't... I think he has got a lot of interests outside, but as far as I can see... He's utterly dedicated to his task. From Fury's perspective, was this the richest fight available to him, do you think? Because, again, talking about motivation, you've explained really well what Joshua's motivation is. Um, it's, a, it's a massive gamble, but there is also then, if he, if he performs well in defeat, there are those other fights against um, Wilder, I think in particular, would definitely have a, a market. Um, from Fury's perspective, is he just ticking stuff off before he, he finishes? Or is it like, well, that's the easiest fight that I can make and make the most money off? What do you think is going on in his head when he's um, engaged in that game of bluff that ultimately he wins? Well, that's a, that's a thesis question, really, because what's going on in Tyson Fury's head at 8.07 in the morning um, on a Wednesday morning is, is such a deep subject that probably he doesn't even know. Um, you know, it's, it's, Tyson Fury is a law to himself. To, I mean, if I was to mooch around in his head right now, um, I, I obviously, as we know with Tyson, he retires, then he's going to fight. I mean, I remember him telling me, I, I did a couple of tour dates with him um, recently. Um, you know, the, his, um, his after-party tour, his homecoming tour. And, um, you know, he was genuinely on the phone that night in Bristol when I was with him uh, on stage. He was on the phone to the world's strongest man, the mountain, talking about having a fight with him in November. That was probably a few weeks ago. Um, he is thinking, he, he, he did... <laughs> I did get teased and warmed up that he was having a fight with Derek Chisora. Um, I had heard about Manuel Char in the background. I think for Tyson Fury, he, he you know, he's so he, the transformation in him as a, as a person and his public facing persona um, is, you know, someone who he's a huge star, isn't he? He's become a massive mainstream star in a different way 
to to that which Anthony Joshua is. Um, and I think he's. I think he's conflicted. I think he wants to walk away, but then when he doesn't box or go to the gym for a while, I think his his, his mind wanders and he's not as happy. And obviously, he's de- definitely devoted to his family. I, I, I've been around him with his family. He loves his family. There's no doubt about that. Um. But with his mental health issues, I think he needs to be active and needs to be creative. I um, mean, he's found an avenue there, you know, with the WWE. He turns up in Cardiff and he, you know, forearm smashes someone in the WWE and it looks like he's just stood up and done it from the VIP seats. But it's all kind of organised. There's so much he can do. There's a Netflix series being made about him at the moment. There's there's a third book out. There's, there's his, his ferocity drinks. I think all these things with Fury... Um, he needs to be busy. So I think in his mind, kind of in pugilistic terms, I think he's definitely in his mind, I genuinely think he wanted to fight Joshua and he wanted to fight Usyk. And after that, there isn't really anyone else. He may fight Wilder for a fourth time. But I, I mean, I remember asking him after the third Wilder fight, is that enough now? And there's a part of him that thinks it's enough. Um, he has spoken to me about the dangers of being in big bruising fights. I mean, he has been dropped four times by Wilder. There's, um, he's been in big bruising fights. So I think to go back to two weeks ago, I think it was a bluff. I think he thought, you know what, I don't want a treading water fight because Usyk doesn't want to fight me because they planned to fight Usyk on December the 17th. Usyk said he wasn't ready. He was obviously buying time um, to be ultimately in his fittest possible condition to fight Fury. So they, so Usyk withdrew until it was going to be February next year. And then Fury thought, I don't want a treading water fight in December. And I think he sat there one day and he went, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to call Joshua out. And I think that's what happened. And I think, because he thought, you know, why don't I fight Joshua now? What's the problem? We're both free. I can't fight Usyk yet. And I think that's what happened. I think that's how we've got here today. That's my theory on it. So um, his so plan is well. to have that fight, win that fight, and then fight Usyk. And from a boxing perspective, perhaps right off into the sunset of WWE or some, you know, yeah. like uh, Ali-style fighting um kind of... Well, whoever. Yeah, exact exhibitions. Yeah. And we see it all the time now. I mean, Mayweather's going down the list, isn't he? I think Conor McGregor will do it at some point, you know? Um, that, you know, it, it's what it's it's what's going on right now. I mean, it, that, you know, it's just one of those things. If you can get eyes on it, you, you can. But um, I, I, I think you're right. I think beat Joshua, beat Yusuf. He doesn't really... He's the veritable number one. He's the king of the jungle in this era in the heavyweight. There is no question about it if he beats those two. But, he, you know, it's, it's conceivable... If the Joshua Fury fight is entertaining and goes twelve rounds and goes points, which is which is definitely possible, um, then they do, they do it again, you know. Um, and then you know he stretches out fighting Usyk the year after or whoever it is at that point. Maybe it's Joe Joyce who's beaten Parker who wins the WBO, and um, you know Fury's thirty four. I mean, I think he could easily heavyweights are in their prime at this age. He could easily go on. To 36 but you know how much is enough you know 
you said there, you know, 12 rounds could be quite possible, Gareth, and I know it's, it's early to be having this look ahead and the bookies have probably had their say in terms of who the favourite is already. Uh, we had Gavin Casey, the Irish boxing journalist, on off the ball quite recently and he said if they fought 10 times, Fury probably wins all 10. But you have to remember he was dropped by Wilder as well. Like, Is there, is there any argument you can make for, for Anthony Joshua beating Tyson Fury? Yeah, you can. He's got a, he's got a massive puncher's chance and, and, and he, he's he's... It only takes a prime fury, a prime fury on the night wins. There's no question in my mind. But it's a slightly off-kilter fury or one that gets injured during the fight or um, one who's too reckless. You can't write Anthony Joshua off completely. He does have a chance. But um, definitely. But um, for me, I think if, if, if fury goes in, then that trance-like state, I think he just, I think he keeps Joshua in control behind his jab. He ties him up. Um, he moves. Um, there's probably a couple of moments of drama, but I think he breaks him down. And, you know, Joshua's shown some vulnerability around the chin as well. So I, I, I see an eight, you know, an eighth, ninth round stoppage for, for Fury. That's how I see the fight. This is, we expect it to be made this week if it's going to get made. Like, it, it's going to happen very quickly. The date seems to be December the 3rd in Cardiff. Um, the split seems to be 60-40. A lot of those details have been made public in a way that suggests that those conversations have been had, you know, just from, from watching these stories over the years, there's a lot of detail here versus some previous times where, oh, this fight's about to be made and we don't really know the terms of it. So uh, has there, is everything acceptable, do you think, at this stage? Is your instinct, I know you said you wouldn't be surprised either way, but is your instinct that we're more likely to see this happen and if it is going to happen, it's going to happen in the next 48 hours or so? I'm sorry to give you a kind of really anodyne answer, but my, my, my instinct is to be sceptical. Right. Um, because, um, yes, the initial agreements are there, you know, the fight agreements, December 3rd, Cardiff, these two guys, 60-40 split. Um, but now we're into the detail. The contract went over last Friday. Obviously, the, the death of um, Elizabeth II, the Queen, um, caused a bit of delay because they didn't want to um, do, they wanted to, you know, be respectful and not, you know, go out, go, go get into the detail in that period, and wanted a couple of days off um, because people were mourning and the country was in mourning. So, uh, and again, yesterday will have delayed it. So, um, it's it depends whether they whether they agree on the fine print. Now, um, the broadcasters we hear are on board. I spoke to Eddie Hearn last week. I think Thursday he was in Las Vegas for Canelo and Golovkin, and he was. Um, saying that they're just about to get the contract, they got the contract on Friday. It all comes down to that detail on whether they agree on it. You know, what those things are, we don't know at the moment. Um, you know, obviously Fury will walk last, he's the champion, all those kind of things. But um, it's whether they really want it now. And if they do really want it, we will get the fight. Okay. Well, we're looking forward to it. And as you said, we are excited about it genuinely at this stage because it's not too late. It's not. It, it doesn't have the bang of... Um, Mayweather, Pacquiao, which was like two years after we actually really wanted to see it. This is still just in that window where we think, okay, this is this is good. Uh, one thing I did want to ask... They're still in their prime. They're still in their prime, so it's fine, in my view. It's just, you know, Joshua, Joshua's been a little bit exposed by 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 a boxer with, with brilliant skills who's smaller and, 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 you know, waspish in the ring and moves around very cleverly. But, you know... He, He's, he's, he's not a busted flush, in my view. I mean, he's, he has been a little bit gun-shy. That was a much-improved performance in Saudi. 
Yeah, I think that's all fair. One last thing I just wanted to ask you. Chris Eubank Sr. has been very public about his concern about the make-weight fight that Chris Eubank Jr. is going to fight Conor Ben at in basically less than a month. It's a couple of weeks now at the O2 yeah. Arena. Um, it's £157 is the weight. Is, is Chris Eubank Sr., does he have a point here? Yeah, he does, because it is dangerous when you're cutting weight. But Chris made 160 regularly. He's got to lose three more pounds. It's not inordinate. Um, the Boxing Board of Control are, are monitoring. I spoke to them last week when Chris, Chris Eubank Sr. raised those concerns. Um, I did speak to um, the Boxing Board, and they said they're monitoring regularly on the way to the way. And I've had a very deep conversation with Chris. I, think I wrote a piece in The Telegraph about it last week, actually, in which Chris um, was saying he's not taking a nutritionist, which seems a little bit foolhardy, but he, um, he's got notes from his entire career on what foods were good and bad for him. And he said if he doesn't, if he gets close and he, to the fight and he isn't dropping those final, say, three or four pounds, then, then he will um, you know, get help on board. Um, look, I think his father raised concerns. He's lost one son already, tragically, last year. So that's a father-son conversation. Chris wants him, his father in the corner. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a fight that will go ahead. I, I mean, I, and yes, he, he's made those concessions. It makes it it's very big over here, this fight. You know, it's, it's very, it's a lot of interest in it. You know, Dazona using it like they did with Canelo and Golovkin and and, and, and KSI and Swarms, if I can say that, because I was at that with Talk Sport the other day as well. It sold out the O2 Arena as well uh, in, in a couple of hours. Um, YouTube uh, celebrity boxing. Um, and and I, think, I think there's concerns on both sides because cause Ben is coming up, Conor Ben is coming up in a lot of weight as well. It's... You know, it's two weight divisions. Welterweight to middleweight is always a big challenge. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard did it successfully against Marvin Hagler all those years ago in a fight where he was elusive. But it's the other way around in in this contest. It's Ben who likes to come forward against Eubank, who's who's very, very. Um, he's a very resilient fighter. Who's I think is underrated. Chris Eubank uh, Jr. I think he's underrated in his career. He's been in with some really good opponents. He only lost to George Groves and Billy Joe Saunders. No harm there. Look what mm. George Groves did. Look what um, Billy Joe Saunders did. So um, I think it's a terrific fight. Yes, there, there are always concerns about cutting weight because it's not good for the membrane around the brain. It's not good for the in, you know the inherent dangers that exist uh, in boxing. But these fighters want these fights, and they're all, also earning an extraordinary amounts of money, Jeff, for, for doing this. Gareth, we leave it there. Always great to talk to you. Thanks a million for joining us. Gareth A. Davis there, uh, giving us the insight into what's going to happen over the next while. 48 hours or so, I think, is, is we're going to hear more news now that um, the funeral is over and people feel free to have conversations about it. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm reminded when he was talking about uh, Chris Eubank there about uh, when I was speaking to Barry Hearn about six months ago for an interview. Barry Hearn famously of course Chris Eubank's manager and like he spoke about uh, Eubank's fight against Juan Carlos Jimenez in Manchester where Eubank moved up to super middleweight but still struggled to, to make the weight uh, and two days before the fight Eubank rings Barry Hearn and says I want you to come down and meet me. Eubank, or, uh, Barry Hearn goes down and meets him and uh, he just pulls down his trousers, exposes himself, and he had got a uh, circumcision done two days before a super middleweight fight and had, because he was obviously afraid of the drugs that they might put in his system, local anaesthetic, you can imagine the pain he was in. And if you even see from that fight, like they, they obviously 
wrapped socks and stuff underneath so he wouldn't uh, damage himself too badly but Jimenez is hitting him in that area and Hearn says for the entire fight he was just wincing at the fight so yeah uh, Chris Eubank is made of made of stern stuff let's just say OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Nathan Murphy is standing by we're going to talk to him next uh, he's picking his Ireland 11 for the game against Scotland this weekend stay tuned OTB AM alright Nathan good morning to you how are you Morning, lads. Uh, you're picking a three-five-two for us. Are you picking the team you think is going to play? Or are you picking? I am God. I am Nathan Murphy. This is my team. Beat that Scotland. <laughs> I, I think it's a bit of both. I think myself and Stephen Kenny are on the same wavelength. When oh, simpatico! Football men, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it's actually a relatively straightforward team if everybody stays fit over the course of this week. With maybe one decision to be made at the back, but aside from that. Uh, if Stephen Kenny looks at the last two performances, it seems quite straightforward. It does feel as though the defeat against Ukraine was maybe a line in the sand for certain players. Jeff Hendrick dropped out of the team. Chidoz Yogbeni dropped out of the team. Callum Robinson dropped out of the team. And they now need to find a way somehow back into the team. And they may well be reliant on other players picking up injuries. So it obviously moves quite quickly because if you think back to this time last year, Callum Robinson was the man for the yeah. future. Andre Omavamadele was the man for the future. Uh, Omavamadele ruled out means it'll be a year since he's even been in the squad, which is a huge setback uh, for him and for Ireland at this stage of his career. But other young players have come in and taken their opportunities. So... These are two big games. I know I come on every Nations League campaign on the Tuesday, Wednesday, ahead of the matches. They're like, who gives a damn about these things? Well, let's just briefly talk about that because really we shouldn't care too much about this. The Euros and the qualifiers are coming down the tracks. We're going to desperately hope that the group of players who field who we field in most of those games are ready for that and that's essentially what this campaign should be about although I understand that there is a backdoor into the, the tournament and so therefore you know we shouldn't write it off however that all changed when Stephen Kenny said I think we can win the group and that brought extra pressure and extra scrutiny and so therefore like the games do matter in a way that maybe they shouldn't uh, yeah, and he said that when he was in a position of weakness, I would say, and he was looking to sort his new contract and uh, was under pressure and was obviously developing a lot of players and realized that they weren't going to be successful in the World Cup qualification and sort of just tried to push everything down the track. Now, Ireland aren't going to win this group. Even if they win the two games, it's highly unlikely they end up winning this group. Uh, Ukraine have seven points. They've played three matches. They go and beat Armenia or they beat Scotland tomorrow night. They'll end up topping this group. There is still a possibility that Ireland could become second seeds for the draw for the Euros. So that draw takes place in a couple of weeks' time in Germany. Ireland, as it stands, are third seeds. We know two teams qualify automatically, and then you are into the playoff system where, in all likelihood, as you say, Ireland will have that back door again from the Nations League, regardless of what happens, uh, which we had last time and didn't take advantage of with the game against Slovakia. But... There is a possibility if Ireland win the two games, they could just sneak in as second seeds. At the moment, France and England are among the second seeds. So you do not want to be in a scenario where you're, you, know, you, could, get, you could get Spain and England uh, in your group. Glamour ties, full houses at the Aviva Stadium, but realistically, not much chance of finishing in the top two. 3-0. And <laughs> yeah. you've, you've, you've got another year of learning and waiting for one game in a playoff. So... There is an importance to these two matches, and I think more than anything, it's just to keep the momentum building because every time Stephen Kenny and this group have taken a step forward, the step back has been too big. The setback has been too great that it's felt like it's undermined everything. So if you write off even the Nations League campaign at the start, which I think we should because of all the messing that was going on with COVID, you know, does the performance in Portugal 
minutes away from this historic result. You think that's it. This is the real beginning of the Kenny era. And then they go and they draw with Azerbaijan, even Serbia. You know, they lose to Luxembourg straight afterwards. Luxembourg. There's, 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 there's six months. There's six months of, of building again. You know, Portugal come to town, does a good result. Callum Robinson starts to score a few goals. There's the great draw against Belgium in front of a big crowd at the Aviva. And again, it's all set up nicely for the Summer Nations League campaign where you feel he has this group. Everybody's into double figures in terms of caps. And then you lose over in Armenia. They lose at Ukraine. And it's this massive setback. And... These things do turn quickly. Remember, we were going into that home game against Scotland thinking if Ireland don't get something out of this, regardless of his contract, Stephen Kenny's under pressure. And I still think that mindset is probably there, that we're in a very comfortable place. And Stephen Kenny right now is in a very comfortable place because of the brilliance of the victory against Scotland and how well they performed over in Ukraine. But you're going to Hamden Park and then have Armenia at home. If there's a repeat of Azerbaijan or Luxembourg against Armenia at home, all those questions are going to come up again. Now, there's nothing to suggest that should happen because of the quality of the recent performances and how a lot of these younger players have emerged and developed. But I I don't think it's totally on steady ground just yet. Okay, so give us your team. Well, I think Gavin Bazunu comes back in and goals. Cuevin Kelleher obviously started the last run of games with Bazunu injured, but now it's flipped and Kelleher misses out. So it's very straightforward. Bazunu is playing every week in the Premier League. Obviously took a lot of criticism at the weekend for his role in the Aston Villa goal. He's still the youngest goalkeeper playing in the Premier League week in, week out. So he's going to make his fault, mistakes. And to what, be honest, uh, but, I mean, I'm a bit biased. Didn't think it was his fault. Like he pushes it onto the crossbar. At that stage, some of his defenders need to react. Anyway, go on. They do, but it was too heavy a hand. He needs to push it over the top of the crossbar. It felt as though he was trying to keep it in play for some reason where he just needs to pad it over. Listen, it's a very close-range opportunity. I don't think it'll be in an end-of-season bloopers reel or anything like that. Uh, It was a mistake in a terrible game of football that ends up costing Southampton the match, so it's going to be zoned in on. But I don't think we've got any real doubts. And Bazunu is one of these players now. He's on to 13 caps, so there is a bit of experience. He's not going to be overawed going over to Scotland. So that's straightforward. Uh, Defensively, the back three, two of the three are automatic at this stage. Nathan Collins scored that wonder goal over in Ukraine in Ireland's last match, which feels like a lifetime ago. He's an automatic choice now, which again, from a year ago, he's only got six caps. Uh, he's only 21, but he's an automatic choice in that Irish defence. And John Egan uh, will play as well. Uh, another automatic starter, always plays when he's fit for Stephen Kenny. And he's coming into this camp with lots of confidence. Sheffield United are top of the championship. He's playing every minute for them. So Egan will play on the left, uh, Collins will be in there. The one decision, I think, is whether it's Seamus Coleman, Shane Duffy, or Darrow Shea, who is the third. My sense is that he will stick with Duffy. I know he's barely played for Fulham a couple of minutes right at the end of Premier League games. It's a month since he last had a match. And Stephen Kenny has dropped him before, obviously, when he was struggling at Celtic. He left him out over in Serbia and for that game against Luxembourg. I think that was a very different scenario where you know, his confidence was absolutely shot. He was obviously still struggling personally after the death of his dad. And there was a lot going on with Shane Duffy. And I think Stephen Kenny almost took him out of the limelight. Uh, Duffy's on the bench every week in the Premier League. He's fit. He only missed the game against Ukraine because he was suspended. He was one of Ireland's better players in the three games before that. So I think Duffy might just be the one. But Nathan, if, if club form matters one iota, Duffy not playing whatsoever and someone like Darrow Shea playing every single game this season for West Brom, captaining captain them a few goals. times as well, scoring goals, is, is it just a case of you need one experienced head in there that, that that's probably the reason Darrow doesn't get in? Egan's there. Well, that. yeah, true. E- Egan is there as well. 
It's yeah, that, he, Stephen Kenny he, he, has, has contradicted himself over the past couple of weeks uh, because he has to because he can't <laughs> make a hard and fast rule. Horses for courses. Hand, he's saying experience, experience is very important. He's been saying, but at the same time, he wants players who are in form. Yeah. So that's the balance he's going to have to weigh up. You're right, Darrow Shea playing every game, scored at the weekend, did well over in Ukraine. Like it's brilliant to see him back. He obviously had the huge setback with that horrible injury he picked up against Portugal just over a year ago, and he didn't look right when he played and he came on against Lithuania in the friendly and didn't look great in the home game when he came on against Ukraine, but he looked a lot more assured, but he's in a very different place physically. So maybe he does look at the fitness and assesses things over the next three or four days and decides that Darrow Shea will play on the right. You play Nathan Collins then in the middle and John Egan on the left-hand side, or maybe you play Egan in the middle, Collins. He can play whatever three he wants there, really. The only thing with Coleman, and it, it does feel as though because Coleman hasn't played at all in the Premier League, he's just got one game in the League Cup and he's, he's 34. His last game against Armenia was a real struggle. Stephen Kenny's admitted he probably shouldn't have played him in that, that he was still struggling with a hamstring injury. When Coleman is fit, Kenny plays him. You might remember he left him out of the team for his first two matches when they were playing a back four and he played Matt Doherty over in Bulgaria in the first game and then against Finland and Coleman was stuck in the bench. We sort of thought that was it. Now he's had never-ending run of injuries. He's missing camps constantly but when he's played in the competitive games he has started when he's been available he has always started for Kenny either on the right wing or in the midfield three so it's still a big decision I think for Stephen Kenny to drop his captain now he'll never have an easier opportunity than right now to drop Seamus Coleman I don't think after what happened in Armenia he's realistically an option at right wing back when they have Matt Doherty fit and Alan Brown is in the squad as well so I my sense is he'll side with Duffy and the experience of Duffy over in Scotland. And maybe O'Shea comes in for the game at home against Armenia. But he's got some nice options there. Um, he picked Collins, Duffy and Egan in the Scotland game that we won 3-0. That's our last game. Is there a possibility he just goes, right, you're my three? Because is there a possibility he doubles down on that team and says, you did really well for me there, lads. Now, Matt Doherty wasn't unavailable. So mm. you have to assume Matt Doherty's going to play, but... Is there an excuse for Matt Doherty? Like, he's not playing football at the moment. Is there a... Just not quite sure he's back from his injury. Want to give him a bit longer? There is an excuse if he wants an excuse. I think Matt Doherty's been Stephen Kenny's best player uh, since he took over. He has really risen to the occasion. He looks like a player who's playing for a top six team in the Premier League or is around top six players. And he was definitely a big loss during that campaign. And you're right, that home game against Scotland maybe makes it an easy decision. They played so well that day. Uh, Egan and Duffy then missed the next game uh, for suspension and uh, Egan just couldn't travel. So he had to bring in Darrow Shea. So that's why I think Duffy in this heart of that defence is probably the most likely scenario. I think Doherty comes back in. It's very, very harsh on Alan Brown, who did really well in the two games uh, during the summer and who is another player that, that Stephen Kenny seems to really like. But Doherty at right wing back brings a touch of class. Uh, he was very good in the couple of friendlies back in March as well. He obviously just hasn't played any football. He's He's been on the bench. You have to assume if he's on the bench, he's almost at full fitness. Or maybe he's quite a bit off it, and that's why Antonio Conte isn't even giving him you know, 20 minutes, half an hour at the end of games. He's literally only getting a couple of ma- minutes here and there. So I still think Doherty will come in and start ahead of Alan Brown, who's probably in that forced position, Shane. Just a, Alan Brown's probably the 12th man almost, in a way. Uh, he can play in a number of positions, but... Might I, I think he'll lose out to Doherty. was interested to see Nathan Wayne Rooney utilising Jason Knight as kind of a, a right-back almost position in a couple of games recently. I think Stephen Kenny has all but ruled him out as a right-wing you back. You forgot Wayne Rooney's gone. Wayne Rooney's gone. gone. Yeah. Sorry, not Wayne Rooney, yeah. but Derby County generally. But But is that is that a realistic option or is is that just a backup if, if all goes to shit and, and Matt Doherty can't play? 
that he is an option at right back, right wing back maybe? No, I don't think so. As Stephen Kenny said himself, he doesn't see him as a as a right back. And I think he was a bit bemused by the fact that uh, Jason Knight has been playing there. Now, he was back playing in a more regular midfield position at the weekend for Derby. Uh, and I think everyone was surprised to see him. Like Lee Rosini has said, he tried to sign a couple of right backs, couldn't get there. And maybe it shows just how professional Jason Knight is and how talented he is. That the manager feels he can take him out and throw him in at right back. No, I think the pecking order right now for that right wing back position is Matt Doherty clearly away at number one. Alan Brown, maybe number two. Seamus Coleman, number three. Chiog Bene has played there at times as well. So I, I, I don't see any scenario. From everything Stephen Kenny said over the last few weeks, there's no suggestion that even if they were somehow stuck, that he would throw Jason Knight in. I think he sees him as too important mm. uh, in that other part of the field. Okay. We've talked about the back. You, you've got Doherty. You've made it clear. Doherty's starting the game. Who's starting your left wing back? James McLean. Again, I think it's a straightforward decision. Why would you drop McLean? He's in arguably the best form of his career for his club for his country as well he's the most experienced player in the squad he's heading rapidly towards 100 caps uh, he's back in the championship and by all accounts he's playing well all the reports you hear from Wigan are that the fans are loving him and they're loving the quality of his performances and it's a it's an incredible rejuvenation because McLean was one of those who people assumed when Stephen Kenny came in would be quickly to the sideline that that all action style of play uh, might be not composed enough for Stephen Kenny but you know he's he has stepped up when he's been asked to. And, you know, Ryan Manning hasn't even been included in the squad. Robbie Brady, it's a very good news story to see Robbie Brady back in the squad for the first time in 18 months. Uh, he, It's probably a little bit too soon for him to start either of these games. Like Stephen Kenny, from day one, used to name check Robbie Brady as one of the players he was most looking forward to uh, working with. But... Like, what's going on with Robbie Brady over the last five years? Like he, you know, he hasn't had a season where he's played even half the games over the last four or five years, but he's finally got a club at Preston. He was up in front of the media yesterday, you know, buzzing to be back and talking about you know, the mental load of the struggles with injury and, and not having a club, having to go back and trial with clubs to prove himself. Uh, he's obviously very close to the camp. Dara Doyle, who, or Damian Doyle, who's the uh, fitness coach, basically took him under his wing during the summer to get him right up to speed. So it's no surprise that once he was back playing and he was back playing I think he was out training at Alsa. I think he was out training mm. at Alsa, somebody said, like watching the planes fly overhead thinking I'm quite far from the Premier League here. I, I think it was, it was him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Damien Doyle, the fitness coach out there, basically was taking him for, for strength and conditioning sessions to get him ready. Uh, had options, went to Preston and it's working out. Obviously, Preston aren't going particularly well this season, but you know he's playing matches I, I over the next couple of years he can definitely get himself back into the mix and maybe take that left wing spot or maybe in a slightly more advanced role in the team but it's probably a little bit too soon from definitely on Saturday against Scotland Shane Dunn says bring Brady back in the left wing back role LWB role that's how the kids talk these days wand of a left foot he says a wand set piece specialist yeah with Hyrule not playing you kind of need that don't you you do. In Ireland's set pieces, I think we're a little bit better in the last couple of camps. There was definitely a struggle at the start uh, when Howard and Brady weren't on the pitch. But I don't think Robbie Brady gets in just on set pieces alone. Uh, you know, James McLean uh, ain't getting any younger, so there is perhaps an opportunity for Robbie Brady over the next 18 months to take that spot on the team. But like, McLean has done nothing wrong. I know McLean gets incredibly harsh criticism at times from from Irish supporters but I think now is the time you cannot really question his selection at all then you've got you've got 72 hours before Tuesday night Nathan like is, is, is would you expect Stephen Kenny to kind of alter the team drastically or not drastically or just see a couple of different names from, from Scotland to Armenia 
Well, he's always had to change the team. Like the way these international breaks work yeah. is, you wake up on Sunday morning and four players have left the squad, and it's three changes it's and five COVID changes. Break. <laughs> so ideally, I'd imagine he'd look at it and think everybody's fully fit, and I can play them again. Uh, you know, if he could go and win in Scotland, it gives him a bit of breathing space to maybe try something different against Armenia. Uh, you know, really try and dominate a game possession-wise and uh, add something different in, but. Right now, I think it's very hard to predict what he'd do on Tuesday without mm. seeing what happens on Saturday night. Uh, I think these are the players in possession right now, so I wouldn't expect widespread changes if everybody can stay fit. That's the thing, isn't it? And also, if if they win, you're not changing the team. But if they get hammered, you're changing the team. Yeah, yeah. And Oh, uh, well, if you get hammered in Scotland, you're fighting for your life on Tuesday night. It's the problem when you're the Ireland manager. Um, do you think it... Do you, do you really think that, like... Have we not settled all that for now? That this campaign, because because of the back-to-back defeats, it's very unlikely that anything significantly really good is going to happen here, unless we were to win these two games, in which case it, it's completely off the table. But notwithstanding that, like we, this is going to be our manager for the European campaign. Surely the FAI are not going to walk into another massive row. That mic's on there. I assume so. I assume uh, that he will be. But I think we would have sat here at the beginning of June and said Stephen Kenny's just signed a new contract till the end of Euro 24. And after that defeat to Ukraine at home, having lost in Armenia, there was huge pressure on that home game against Scotland that they had to do something. And a real worry with those performances that, remember, it was a Ukraine B team that had beaten Ireland, that Ireland had still had to go to Ukraine to face their full strength side. But actually, they turned it around and... I think the players clearly have bought into it. There are definite signs of progression. There are moments and many more moments in every game where they're performing at a very high level. They're playing a different style of football. You can tell when they're at the Aviva that the crowd very much believe in what Stephen Kenny is trying to do. But he's been undermined by just very, very bad defeats from Luxembourg. uh, The draw at home against Azerbaijan, uh, losing over in Armenia. So right now we sit here and say, yes, Stephen Kenny is comfortable. If, as you say, somehow it was to go horribly wrong in Scotland and you were to lose at home to Armenia, you're in trouble, no matter who the Ireland manager is. Josh Cullen's move has been good for him in terms of profile. He's been doing really well. He's straightened the team. Everybody knows that. But you have Malumbi in the team. He liked Malumbi, but Malumbi hasn't quite hit the height of international games that we think he's capable of. And yet he's actually playing really well for West Brom at the moment. So this is a selection based on club form. No, it's a selection based on the last two games where Jeff Hendrick started in Armenia and at home against Ukraine and didn't perform. And Jason Malumbi got his chance in that game against Scotland and over in Ukraine and played well. And he was outstanding, but it did feel as though that was maybe a shift for Stephen Kenny that Jeff Hendrick now wasn't playing club football at the time. He wasn't getting a game at Queen's Park Rangers. He's been playing every week for Reading. So maybe Hendrick has come back a very different player physically and is ready to slot back into the midfield. But based on what we saw in the two games and two very strong performances against Scotland and Ukraine, Malumbi played in those games alongside Cullen. So why would Stephen Kenny change it, considering, again, he's playing every week, to just say, quite well, it seems, with West Brom in the championship. He's up to 14, 15 caps at this stage. So there's a bit of experience there. And it does feel, as I said at the start, that Hendrik, Robinson, Ogbene were the losers from that June campaign. And now they need to somehow find their way back in. But you know, Jason Malumbi's done nothing wrong over the last few games. So why drop him? Yeah, OK. So he's in the team. And then you're sticking with Knight, Obafemi and Paris. Yeah, I think, again, you go with what played so well against Scotland. Like the attacking quality, the attacking play that day was as good as we've seen uh, from Ireland in recent times. They absolutely love Jason Knight in that Ireland camp by all accounts a really good lad really good attitude you say everybody's eyebrows raised 
that he's playing it right back, that he also didn't get a move in the championship because he's still only 21. It does seem as though Derby wanted a lot of money for him and that if you're a championship manager where your shelf life is, what, six months, that maybe you're not going to make that massive investment in a 21-year-old who will develop over the coming years. You want someone who can make an instant impact right now. Uh, so Stephen Kenny has said that he doesn't see him as a right back. I would expect him. I think he is that perfect link man where... It looks like you're playing three, but actually he drops deeper into midfield. So he'll play. Uh, Troy Paris is at a stage now where, again, hasn't kicked on from a club level. He has played what, 10 games for Preston, hasn't scored a goal. Now, Preston have been bizarre this season. They've played 10 games. They've scored three goals all season as a club. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't put all of that on Troy Paris. Uh, but again, he's another player that Stephen Kenny has invested time, effort in. He's at a stage now with 15 caps, albeit still only 20. Uh, that's he played so well, I think, in the game against Scotland where he scored the goal and he set off Michael Obafemi that he has done enough to stay ahead of Callum Robinson. And then Michael Obafemi's back. He obviously was brilliant against Scotland, uh, ended up picking up an injury in that game, missed out on the trip to Ukraine, has had a lot going on at club level with his manager and that, and that deadline day moved to Burnley. Uh, but it felt like we, we got something with Michael Obafemi. Uh, the Michael Obafemi we've been waiting many, many years for. The guy we saw scoring against Manchester United. Uh, the guy who we expected to be a big part of this team for two or three years. He's still only on four caps, but the quality of that performance against Scotland, I think, gets him into the side. And the only real option, other option, is Callum Robinson, who you know, made a summer move to Cardiff, hasn't got a goal yet, and hasn't really kicked on yeah. since that brilliant few games against so Azerbaijan We need him Qatar. to play some club football. Michael Obafemi, 22 years of age, born in the year 2000, mm. so still still has plenty. But this of- is it. Like we, we, we sort of talk about the development. Like Michael Obafemi, 22. Troy Parrott, 20. Jason Knight, 21. Jason Malumbi, 23. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Collins, you know, another kid at 21. Gavin Bazunu. So these are players that Stephen Kenny spent a lot of time with over the last couple of years. He's got them to a stage where they know the camp inside out where they're yeah. well into double figures with caps. All right. So there's no great experimentation needed. Like this in a way still is experimentation and yeah, I think that's good stuff. pretty much unless something emerges that'll be the team. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks a million. That's uh, Nathan's team this morning. You can leave your team in the comments for us on YouTube or you can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. A reminder, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Every week, we're giving one lucky viewer a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Brayburn competition post, and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. Now, John Duggan, good morning to you. Jaron Shane, how are you doing? How are you? Not bad yourselves. Give us your three Tuesday takeaways this week. Well, human son brings so much joy. Uh, to my life good sub good sub to have yeah good lad to have I love the fact that Conte said that I don't care if he's annoyed or not or frustrated and put it up to him and he channeled that frustration into pure brilliance and once the first one goes in then it all just turns out beautifully Conte looks like a genius now well Conte is a genius well he is until sorry. he has a strap and leaves and Son like the first goal uh, I love the way the Spurs played a bit more direct which I think they needed to do against Leicester Runs at pace and then just whips it into the top corner. Second goal on the other side uh, with the left foot, bending it around uh, into the other corner. And then had the conviction to score the third uh, and go for the jugular with it. So Richarlison started the season well and now with Sun now becoming Sun again, it's uh, definitely an exciting, exciting time. 
really interested to read. It was a piece in one of the papers, the English papers, this morning talking about like obviously the fanfare over over Son in South Korea and the fact that he's off on an international window now. The focus would have been so dramatically on him if he hadn't scored the hat trick. Maybe I think Paulo Bento in his press conference as South Korean manager was asked about it consistently as Son was out of form. Like, and that's probably one of the reasons South Korea haven't pushed on since that 2002 World Cup performance, where he is literally the man. Uh, almost a demigod in South Korea and they don't have players of that ilk around him but the pressure on him in, in a country like that must be immense when you're when you're the guy in the country obviously he's the, the star man I think he's quite good at handling pressure he does get a bit annoyed with himself he's a bit of a perfectionist you can see even the, 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 the stress of his reaction to the first goal like it was almost the, the relief uh, but I think he's generally quite a guy who who, who plays with a smile on his face and uh I think he's generally always embraced his, his national um, identity and, and, and iconic status in Korea. It's interesting because I was going through the, it was on the BBC website today, the um, influencers, because obviously he'd probably be the main influencer in Korea. Uh, but like Cristiano Ronaldo, 480 million followers and generates more than $3.5 million per Instagram post of media value. Alina Messi has 360 million followers, generating $2.6 million of media value per post. Interesting, the most influential English player is Jadon Sancho. Hmm. So Ronaldo and Sancho, both Man United there players. There you go, Sancho's show a bust. Pony, show pony the Sancho. <laughs> He's a bust, Jerry. The new Pogba, is that what we're saying? <laughs> well, um, the second takeaway is uh, that uh, you can see it positively or negatively, the return of Jack McCaffrey and Paul Mannion to the fold, positively in that They've, um, in metaphorical terms, not literal terms, decided to go for one last heist at the uh, jewellers. I'm looking forward to the dub telling us what the negative of, of uh, Manion and McCarthy. Well, the negative is. is that where, where where are the new Manion and McCarthy? Uh, where are the new guys? Who are the new guys coming through? Um, uh, but this is the, the Kerry defeat was painful for Dublin. I know the Dublin have dominated the landscape for the last ten years and won six in a row, etc., etc. But the Sean O'Shea thing that was painful, and I, I think that Kerry being the All-Ireland champions might have been a motivator for these guys to come back and obviously they've got a relationship with Desi Farrell and uh, if Jack McCarthy has the same level of pace um, in his game then, then it's really exciting because to me he's a motorbike he's like he's a Ferrari like he, he's the best, one of the best players I've ever seen maybe Jim Connolly might be a better player but Jack McCarthy's the best players I've ever seen live in a against pitch so ridiculously effective yeah like that was the thing it was um, he's going to do one of his things where he's going to do this you know what he's gonna. It's gonna. What he just did it. Yeah, you can't stop, stop it. it. You can't stop it yet. But the yeah. problem, like he came back from injury before. I remember in that Longford game in Leinster Championship a few years ago, and and he was he looked faster than he had ever had. Like I know he did, was at the AFL Combine where he ran two point eight seconds over twenty meters. I think the record was two point seven eight. Like he is a. Oh, I didn't know that. Motor, right? Um, like and that just probably put the numbers on it. He obviously he's talked to himself about how he thinks he's faster with the ball in his hand. But he, I think he's actually said before that he thinks Paul Mannion is faster than him, which I find hard to believe, but Mannion's no slouch either. Well, Mannion's dominated the club game in recent years. and um, Even this year as well, he's been unbelievable for Yeah, so um, obviously he, he doesn't really need to do much, as it were, to, to just go back into the blue jersey and do what he needs to do. But um, that drawn final, McCaffrey in that drawn final, was just, I think he's got 1-3, I think he got from play. Um, he, he did say that, that that drain was so much. So I, I don't know, we should definitely... Um, Enjoy this for however long it lasts. It might be it might be one last hurrah. Maybe they're back for three or four years. Like maybe they've found a way to balance, and they've had those couple of years away. Like the other thing that was interesting to me was that 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 video went up from Dubs TV, and at the same time, 
Brian Fenton was in Talca Park watching the uh, Shells Bowls game. So he's back from his travels. He'd been his Instagram was basically an incredible story of uh, travel over the last six months. But he's back, and I wondered was it coincidence that he's back in Dublin and the two lads are? It's like you know, you can just feel the uh, um, um, assembling. The Avengers assembling favorites now for the All Ireland next year. Well, it's, uh, they're not. They're not. I mean, I mean they're not, not by the, the bookies, not by the bookmakers, no, no, no. but they're uh, not. They're, uh, Kerry are the favorites. Well, yeah, Kerry are going to get the bounce, and I think Kerry will. As I said yesterday, Kerry will be electrified. Tough to defend in their WhatsApp group. What do you think was being said? Yeah, but it's tough to defend Sam Maguire lads, and the Dubs are a wounded animal, which you know they'll have Division Two football obviously to contend with at the start of the year first. But I don't like the Dubs being wounded whatsoever. We've just woken up, like woken up a beast here, Kerry, by by winning last year. And, and bring, these lads, would these lads have come back if if? No, I don't think. I think Kerry's no. Kerry's motivator in my mind. It is pretty uh, exciting. Maybe if Mayo had won, they'd be like, "Oh, well, we got to quell them. We got to put them <laughs> down. Got to put them." But then, sure, look, that's never going to happen, uh, as we know. I, I, one, I don't know if you guys have discovered the um, the music thing on the Instagram post when you put music to your story. I, I, like I'm like a child, like I'm um, playing around with that now. You just uh, discovering that, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 kind of fun. Um, so I'm just like going through all my favorite songs, and what can I what can I put 15 seconds of a favorite song to in terms of a picture? So that's how uh, <laughs> John discovering the the hidden gems of yeah, Instagram well, stories. Um, my, my guitar and Aldo's level. Uh, the third takeaway, um, because there's not much sport on, I was kind of trying to think of it, think of something that actually happened. Actually, 30 years ago today, Donegal beat Dublin to win the All Ireland, mm. uh, their first ever All Ireland. Only they only won two. I never, I never, never forget just the, the absolute stunned, stunned. What, 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 who are these people, and what, what, how are these guys winning all Ireland's and beating us? Because we'd finally shaken off Meath. Well, Meath kind of imploded that season anyway themselves. But to get through Meath, and do you think it got a clear run now here at the All Ireland series? And Donegal beat us eighteen points to fourteen. Um, Manus Boyle got nine points. Declan Bonner was playing, got the last score of the game. Anthony Malloy, captain. Martin McHugh it was. Um, Footballer of the Year, Brian McAniff, the, the godfather of Donegal football, orchestrating the whole thing. And obviously, the, the Ulster football at the time was 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 king, you know. You, and you, you you'd knock out and Donegal the next year lost to Derry, and then we had the Dan Derry, probably the game of the ages in '94. And uh, 30 years ago today, Dublin Donegal. I feel like the Donegal win in '92 was the moment that people realised Ulster was king because probably the year before, Down winning it the year before. Well, yeah, Down winning yeah. it, but then you, you needed a second county to come up and step yeah. up and win it straight away afterwards. I'm loving these anniversaries. I think the Offaly '82 team were on holidays in sunny Spain or Portugal with with each other recently, recently uh, in the last week or two. And I know the Armagh players met up. I think over the weekend or certainly the last few days. From yeah, saw that those pictures. They all look great. Serious form. Yeah. They're all like it's. I mean, it's hard to believe it's twenty years ago, but they they all look. It is hard ready to, believe, to play again. That was the weekend I was down in Mount Juliet that weekend, covering the uh, American Express World Championship, which Tiger Woods won. It was the day of the same day of the Armagh Kerry Games. So, heard Oshin McConville. I think he was interviewed in the papers. He was talking about uh, he's only now making peace with the fact that he has only won All Ireland with Armagh. That you know, obviously they felt in 3 <laughs> That they could have gone on to do it. Know, was very unlucky. Yeah, like they won. They basically won every Ulster title for a <laughs> hundred years in a row, and then yeah. only won one All Ireland. Yeah. Which I mean, lads, stop winning the Ulster title. It doesn't matter. Throw yeah. it in. <laughs> Just like go through the qualifiers. Yeah, thrown lad. Like <clears throat> obviously not laughing at them because, and they were the ones where Clonus was being redeveloped, and those were all in Croke Park. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if if. Pat Spahn hadn't been telling us all this was terrible football. Everybody would have been like agog. These are two well, that of the semi-final in great 05 teams. was one of the one of the great games. The most tense occasion, <laughs> the highest level of tackling that we've ever seen, 
Uh, and also some of the greatest forwards we've ever seen finding just that little pocket of space to win a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Peter Canavan. Yeah, like awesome. Yeah, so awesome. you need to come back to wasn't it? Oh eight, Stephen O'Neill came back from retirement, injury retirement to uh, to play the final in two thousand eight for Tyrone. So, Manny and McCarthy, take note. The comebacks sometimes work. He he wasn't very happy with uh, how he performed that day, but he still had he had some bearing in the game, Did and you? it was enough to like uh, upset the opposition, which is all you all you need. Uh, so sorry, are Dublin going to win the All Ireland on the back of these lads coming back? Is that what you're saying, John? Yeah, and you can come back to me in a year's time, <laughs> and uh, we'll play the tape. Um, did you sit watching television yesterday all yeah, day? I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole look of the Queen's um, funeral um, because I'm big into history, and it was a historical world event. Uh, nothing really to do with liking monarchies and not liking monarchies. And I have the uh, the security, and I have no insecurities. I'm a Irish Republican patriot, so. Uh, but also, you know, they are neighbours and, you know, I was interested in the whole vestige, I suppose, of empire and uh, the fact that this was a you know, well-regarded person who ruled a, a country for 70 years. 70 years is not insignificant. And you Joe Biden there, Emmanuel Macron, the emperor of Japan, and just the whole coverage of it and the whole pomp and ceremony. And I, I found that quite powerful, actually, and um, it, it, interesting. Uh, because you probably haven't had that in Britain since Winston Churchill died. So it was definitely an interesting historical watch uh, to see it all unfold over the, the few hours and, and how it was covered and and uh, how they executed it, as it were. Hopefully life goes back to normal for our near neighbours now. Yeah, it'll take a while. My mum's my trying to get me to watch The Crown. Um, apparently it's very interesting. I can't do it. I can't do it either. Colin Booth said it's very good like from a historical yeah. perspective I'm sure I, I did it because News Talk asked me to review one of the series so I did it with Kira Kelly and uh, you know enjoyed it and, uh, I, I'm able to separate whatever my personal feelings are about monarchies and that kind of thing from just the maybe the entertainment aspect of the crown and you know see uh, I, I kind of believe that there is a that whole soft power element where it's like oh, but these are actually these are all just normal people at the end of the day you know apart from the fact that they're like multi 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 billionaires like she's she was the largest landowner in Britain yeah do you know that's what we're watching here is, yeah. is like the wealth and, and the, the whole point of the ceremony is to uh, remind you of the power yeah. 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 and the whole power comes from people saying you have the power and so it's this kind of uh, the opposite of a virtuous circle where like uh, you know oh you, you uh, look, anyway I, I actually think that all the TV coverage is way over the top and I do wonder is is the funeral historic at all really it's just a funeral do you know mm. like it's just a funeral it's not actually a moment of history like the fact that she existed for 70 years that is historic but this is just the end of it it's just a party like that's what I felt about the whole thing and I watched three minutes of it uh, at the end where they were getting into the cars and I was like oh, I mean is this even interesting who's that I don't know it's funny I, like, I feel like it's going to push people who had set opinions one way or the other either way it's going to push them. like people who are massive fans of the monarchy they're going to be doubling I down the end. I, I did watch a, a good bit of the Oprah interview with um, yeah. Harry and Meghan I think that they're going to break up the, the monarchy because people are like hang on a second why are we treating people like this um, the firm. Now, they'll still be ridiculously wealthy they'll still be the, one of the wealthiest families in the world but people don't talk about that like it's funny we talk about footballers and we talk about footballers obscene wealth and there was a comment earlier on about the the wages that Jimmy Garoppolo was earning oh you're normalising obscene wealth it's like but I, I actually feel like all of those people who are working who are all getting paid to be there that's the normalisation of the obscene wealth and it's the justification of it and so that's, that would be my take on this is that actually we should turn away and we should definitely protest this obscene wealth that they have that they did nothing 
nothing <laughs> by right nothing yeah. yeah to earn what what was interesting for me my perspective was because uh, i really do feel like that was an end of an era moment yesterday because you said hope you're right 70 years um and that's why i watched it i watched it for the uh, the moments the historical import of it because i think britain is on the verge of of, of breaking up uh fracturing because the scottish wanted independence you know we could be on the road to united ireland in time um, and there's an English nationalist strain to their politics now with the, with the, Tory, the Tories the last 12 years. So you are seeing a, a country that is, is, has got, like, probably got issues potentially with its identity. And the fracturing of, of Britain could happen. And obviously it's not an empire anymore. So there was a degree of continuity and stability. And, you know, whether you agree with what she did or not, she probably did her job quite well. So, therefore, the end of that and the marking of that was something I was just interested in. Because I don't think Prince Charles or King, or King William or King Charles now are going to have the same, you know, maybe love that the Queen seemed to get from her subjects in Britain. James, she she was an astonishingly good hype woman for yeah, that, yeah. that organisation. Like, at the forefront of that, she was astonishingly good at that. I don't think anybody can deny that. And whether or not you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I suppose, is dependent on your view. Yeah, like, I read a book on uh, James Connolly, bi- biography of James Connolly quite recently, two parents from, uh, from Cody Monaghan, to get the, the Monaghan mention in there for the show this morning. Like, his views on the monarchy were, like, I, I couldn't sum it up any oh, better. sensational. Than, like, just yeah. his, his, if you do, just Google James Connolly, quote, monarchy, uh, it probably sums up how some of us feel on this island. Um, what I'm really dreading over the next couple of weeks is not just the fact that this mourning period is going to continue, it's the gossip from the funeral is now going to come out. The, the Megan did this, Harry did oh, this. Oh, yeah, like, the, who, like, who cares? The number of tears Megan dropped and didn't drop during well, the that's an industry that's a media industrial complex just as much as Trump and all that kind of thing in America is media industrial complex yeah. all about driving ratings and money that's what that is for the UK yeah it also exposes the racism at the heart of um, of their problems with Meghan Markle which you know is endemic in the whole notion of there being a royal family and a bloodline which needs to be kept relatively pure like the whole thing when you start talking about it begins to unravel is this what well, even walking behind the coffin the other day, Harry couldn't wear the whole military honours. And it was funny, like Charles, Margaret, all, even Edward, all of them were, and Andrew, they were all wearing the the military garbs. And Harry was the most modest looking at a couple of badges. And you're, you're asking yourself, which of these people had two tours in Afghanistan? And it was Harry, do you know? And yet he is the one diminished and having to not wear the, the whole military gear behind the coffin. I mean... It's all a bit ridiculous. I mean, yeah. And then you start asking why are they in Afghanistan as well. So anyway, look, it's nine o'clock this morning. No, all I can say, folks, God bless Ireland. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Except there is no God. Time for nine o'clock, time for the papers. <laughs> there are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What should be a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. Uh, before he became a bit of a legend, Romario, the footballer, used to have a saying, there are many kings in this world, but there's only one God. I'm Romario. I'm God. And then he became like one of the most interesting and influential politicians who had a significant role in bringing down the corruption in the IOC. So if you want to believe in gods, I can believe in Romario. I can, I can, he is one I can get behind. Uh, the sports pages for you this morning. Do, do, do. Should have had this ready. Un, unprepared after that. Ah, Robbie Brady. Who doesn't, who doesn't want the comeback story for Robbie Brady? Like, yeah. he's still a gifted footballer. A gifted, gifted teenager taking on the books. A lot of time for Robbie. MC the gig in Monaghan a few years ago where he, where he was speaking. Sean McCaffrey was his old, uh, his old coach at underage level. And he was there for a Sean McCaffrey Foundation launch. Great, great guy. Good to see him back. And he's only he's 30, like he's... 31, is he? Yeah. 30 or 31, yeah. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. <laughs> um, 
he had microfracture surgery on his uh, on his knee, which is a horrific kind of injury that really sets you back for mm. ages and ages and ages. They puncture these little holes and yep. to get the um, the marrow. I think it's marrow, something to ooze out, and then that heals. And then and that was just as he was getting to the point of um, whether or not he was going to make it at Man United. And then after that, a big setback. And there's uh, our manager. Uh, Stephen Kenny signing autographs for kids at Abbottstown yesterday. And then, obviously, uh, Dan McDonald's story about Alma Bamadeli being out, so it's Duffy or Coleman who will end up playing. And it looks like there's going to be a Club World Cup in rugby, which I don't know, maybe maybe it's actually better that they'll play meaningful club games. And Yeah, I listened to Quinny yesterday, and, and, and like rugby needs a bit of a kick up the ass. It needs a rocket. I mean, it, it just needs something to, to live up the URC really snuck onto the radar at the start of it I think we, we only started talking about it in the middle of middle of last week but I mean it needs something and, and then you know the players going off on this emerging Ireland tour as well does diminish it a little bit doesn't it taking away some of the best players from provinces I don't know uh, it's certainly you can't tell us that this is the best product in the world and then, and then like, take the players away yeah, yeah. Uh, the examiner um, you know like it or not their sports section they've got like great stuff on golf the uh, hidden beauty where has it gone here yeah the 18th in a tie uh, a par 5 a high tee box leads you into a tilting dog leg with bunkers on the left and trees to the right it begs for a big drive the fairway then flattens and races towards the clubhouse strong birdie opportunity they've gone through every uh, just, I'm just uh, right best holes in the country some, yeah. of my, some of my happiest memories yep. spent crushing drives down that uh, 18th uh, Duffy could make return United overpaid by 200 million 209 million pounds to further drive transfer inflation this is a great story. Harry Maguire, Aaron Wan-Bissaki, yeah. Aaron Wan-Bissaki costs 50 million. I'd yeah. totally forgotten about that. He's completely out of favour with Den Hag. He's not, he's, I mean, he's gone. How much could you get from him? You just have to let the contract wind down. Yeah, probably. I mean, who's I'd say, I would say, Aaron Wan-Bissaka has earned more than Jimmy Garoppolo. Or will <laughs> earn more than Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Well, I don't think yeah. he was on 24 million a year. I'm not saying he was on 24 million a year. But this year, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to learn Aaron Wan-Bissaka is getting more money than Jimmy G. I'll find out what he's on. See, I don't think it's going to be public. Maybe not. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, I, let's see what... what, what his his five-year current contract with United was 23.4 million guaranteed, so an average annual salary of 4.6 million. Okay, so he's not quite, not quite, not quite. But sterling, of course. not far off. yeah. It is sterling, yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends what the, what's the exchange rate at the minute. Uh, still a decent coin. Um, so this is um, the CIES Football Observatory. They've done an analysis all the way back to 2012. And they found that transfer inflation has largely been driven by Manchester United being completely shit at buying players. <laughs> yeah. But but then is it United's fault? Because as soon as United come in for a player, the price is going to go up. And yeah, it's their fault. You don't pay. Well, yeah. Why some of the uh, was it Caicedo they could have for a million and a half, and they said no. We'd rather pay sixty million for him in eighteen months. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably the issue is, and, and listening to, to people talking about Arsenal over the last couple of days, like they went from a period of buying buying pl- terrible players for large sums of money to suddenly players that are a little bit less than getting three players for the price of what they were getting for one so it's, it's value for money uh, United just haven't they haven't nailed it down maybe Anthony that, that type of signing is, is the way forward still an abno- just an abnormal amount of money and yet if he turns into a absolute superstar uh, then, it's, that's high risk right that yeah because it's a lot pain, of money yeah whereas if you could get Anthony so if you if you do what Chelsea have done 
uh, even to a certain degree what Manchester City have done is buy a lot of young players put them through loan them out for a couple of seasons and then take them back uh, yeah. it's far less risky than signing one player for 80 million like um, Glazers panic and they have to just buy a superstar at the end of a transfer window and they have no choice especially when there's Glazer out banners at, at every match so yeah, yeah. Uh, Mannion return no real risk that's Michael Scully has been speaking Robbie Brennan uh, is club boss and says that there's no real risk to it he's um, it's going to be good the football championship already starting to look good who says we don't need a long off season it's 6 minutes past 9 if you want to get in touch with us this morning we'd love to hear from you 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number here's what's going up on OTB Sports Radio for you today uh, OTB Gold is Keith Andrews meets Philly McMahon Dadcast at 3 Career Perspective with Jason McIntyre and Cora Staunton is OTB Gold that is today's papers OTB AM It's just gone 8 minutes past 9 and I'm delighted to say Conor O'Brien is with us now a former Leinster player Conor, how are you? I'm all good, yeah How does Thank it you. sound when we're saying you're a former Leinster player at this point? Um, a bit w- unusual I suppose but um, it's nice uh, knowing that I suppose I did get to play for Leinster but um no, it is, it's a bit strange, I suppose. Like, life after rugby has been nice to me so far, but... Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, I'm working uh, with a company called Tech Enable, so um, I'm sort of business development with them, and um, yeah, loving life, not being on a strict rugby schedule. Um, it's nice, nice change of scenery. Yeah, did you have time to prepare for the fact that the end was coming? Because your injuries have been bad for the last couple of seasons, really. It wasn't like mm. an injury that you did that was, okay, tomorrow they're... they're coming to you and saying okay that's it it yeah. was a long slow steady process yeah well it slowly um, took away any bit of um, enjoyment I was getting out of it when all these injuries started coming around so um, I suppose I had plenty of time to prepare for it unfortunately um, the first injury came over two years ago just before COVID in Ospreys and then it was it was just one after the other from there it was two right hamstrings off the bone and then I came back and did my ACL and then got back for pre-season last season and um tore my left hamstring off the bone so right. yeah nice little uh, concoction there but um yeah no the the last say four or five months of last season i sort of knew that it was kind of not getting much better and the hamstring my, my, my left hamstring yeah so it was just anytime i went under um any sort of like zero to a hundred sort of like you know that sprint sprint effort yeah. um, accelerations um, it was just it was too sore and I was re-injuring it and it was grand like rehabbing it I was able to like slowly progress up but then when I went back to train it just couldn't couldn't withstand you it you were studying economics in city while, while you were still playing with so you obviously had one eye on, on the post career but that's something yeah. you were probably going to be doing anyway yeah like they're very good in like Leinster and, and Ireland in general for getting you re- ready for life after rugby. Um, so I was able to. I first of all I went to Trinity um, when I left in it would have been eight years ago now, and I was living in Clontarf. I was studying in Trinity, and I was in the sub academy in Donnybrook. So logistically, it was a bit of a nightmare. So I, when I got into the academy, I moved to UCD into economics, and then. I actually moved in with, with Will Connors and Jimmy O'Brien in a house beside UCD as well, so I had everything right beside me. A and, zero uh, crack, I'd say. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> terrible. But uh, no, I, I actually have been living with the two lads there for the last six years. I only moved out a couple of weeks ago back right. to Mullingar, so it was um, it was sort of uh, pardon. Total emotion moving out. Total emotion. But <laughs> it was sort of one of those things where I thought long and hard about it because I was sort of left that rugby bubble, yeah. uh, but I was still sort of had one foot in it when I was 
living with the lads and like I loved them and I wish I could live with them but it just made sense I'm able to work from home and yeah uh, kind of tormenting sense. a little bit too the lads are going off training coming back from matches and you're thinking yeah no but they're understanding guys like but it's just for my own headspace I suppose it was sort of like yeah look that chapter in my life has ended it's uh, happily kind of I don't want it to turn in any way sour and yeah, you know I, I still I you know, I'll call into them now on the way home and stuff like that. Like, so it's no, there's no real difference there. Yeah. We're still best mates. So. And and I'm sure that's going to be your experience with the people who you soldier with all the way up to this point. Uh, yeah, for sure. That team bond is really strong. Mm. Um, the, can you take us back to the the injuries at the start? Like, you did. So was it the left hamstring was the one that did in the end, or the left hamstring was the one that. Yeah. But you, so you tore the right hamstring off the bone first. Twice, yeah. So I, I did that. Um, I went into tackle lad against Ospreys, and I sort of dipped my head into it, and my rear end went up, and my leg kind of stayed planted on the ground. And then the force came back down through. I can't really <laughs> explain it, no, but um, yeah, it was poor tackle technique. And um, I uh, we were playing in the Nall in Ospreys, which is an awful pitch. Like Mullingar pitch is much better. Um, and then so that was a grade four. B or whatever that was so it's, it's tear off the bone and then I came back uh, sort of doing my own stuff over Zoom with my physio Carol and uh, during lockdown because it was obviously this was the first stage of it that was in February uh, 2020 so that was just coming into the start of COVID uh, How long is the recovery from that? That was five months right. ballpark and uh, I came back and literally I think the first week of training like came back and just went to sidestep someone down in uh, the RDS just we were prepping for pre-season and uh, just tore a slightly different muscle but it was complete rupture again right so there was it was obviously hanging on by a thread for whatever reason and like even I have the, the video of it it looks very innocuous you know so there's uh, it didn't really make much sense everyone was quite baffled about that um, so then is that another five months that's another five months, yeah. Okay, so that's and ten, they, 10 months essentially with a week in between where you're like, yeah, I feel great. Yeah, and these things were getting infected as well every time as well. Um, like I'm a clean person, I'm not like, it's not like I'm not sharing or whatever, but for whatever reason, like any surgery I've gotten, it's just gotten infected. And um, that I was on a drip for both times with that in hospital for um, about just less than a week, which was fairly nasty as well because like obviously that takes a lot out of your body um, and then obviously slows down the rehab process as well so it was a bit of a nightmare at that point are you thinking I'm going to come back from this I'm going to make it as a rugby player this is all going to stand to me in the end I'm going to be more Definitely, grateful yeah. for everything yeah, yeah I was like so like you obviously hit these peaks so like a few years ago I, I burst onto the scene and I was playing well and I thought this you know it's only going to go from here but it didn't um, and you sort of you when you're in that mindset and, and experience that you always are striving for more and striving to get that again but then when obviously an injury like that comes around the first time you know I'm able to handle it and it's obviously depressing and stuff like that but like you're able to you know uh, put it into context it's a contact sport and high impact so it's, you're going to get injured but then when the second one came around you just hit a little bit lower and then you know you're when I come back then I'm more excited because of all the you know hurt yeah. before so 10 months on from the, yeah. the first one maybe even a bit longer yeah. you're back out in the field and then you do your ACL yeah so I was then again <laughs> I, I was come back and like I was like this is my time now I've done my injuries you know like I'll get a fair shake here you know um, and then it just I, I literally caught a ball it was slightly behind me I went to just check and, and step off my left foot and, and just felt a little like um, I don't really know how to describe it just a little pop I suppose and 
I trained on for about five minutes and I was like mm, this doesn't feel right and I was very quiet and I was like I didn't really want to believe what was happening because so I, I felt like the pain wasn't too bad but it was reasonable pain but not as bad as say the hamstring pain but um, I was able to like walk but I didn't have the power in it so I strapped it up and took painkillers and went out the next day to train and then about 20 minutes in which is decent to get through on no ACL um, I just like went to kick a ball and just excruciating pain and nice. got it scanned and it was my ACL I noticed in your in your statement as well when you retired Connor like you name checked the physio Carl Denver and mm. Professor John Ryan as well yes. in, in Leinster like very often underappreciated members mm. of a of a backroom team as well, the medical staff. But I mean, how important when you're going through all those injuries you mentioned? Mm. How important are those people in a, inside a club environment? You know, in terms of even mentally getting you back up off the ground, mm. and you know, especially when you're getting constant injuries like yourself. Massive, yeah. Those guys keep the show on the road, and and you know you can't appreciate them enough because they're not. In, you know, there's 23 lads out on a game day, but like it's <laughs> much more than that. The whole operation is so much bigger, and like Carl Denver and and John Ryan, like you were saying, like these guys care more about you than you nearly care about yourself. You know, <laughs> like Carl would be up getting, he wouldn't get a night's sleep if I like didn't rehab like, or I was feeling a bit of pain during rehab the day before, um, and. Yeah, he's just it's un, it's unreal how much they care and want to see you like get better because that's like their main aim of their job, I suppose. But really, like when and they're good people, uh, people persons as well. I suppose you could say, um, like you're feeling there January morning and it's seven o'clock in the morning and they're trying to get you out running and stuff and they're able to like you know get you out there and put the arm around you when you need it and kick you up the backside when you need it as well so it's sort of it's good good relationship and like he's a good mate of mine now after all that um, the time I spent with him he was with me for all my four injuries so um, we've seen enough of each other unfortunately on the physio bed when the ACL pops like um, in between that period from <coughs> it actually happening and you acknowledging that it happens the next day what's gone through your head at that stage? Um, it's fairly dark like you know because it's just like this is uh, why me and you know all these things are why why does someone not get injured at all and I'm here three times on surgery bed in, in a year kind of thing like or a year just over a year um, but I suppose then like I have a really really good support network around me I have my best mates I have a really good girlfriend and my, my family as well so like I couldn't ask for better people around me so when I was feeling low and stuff like people were very very supportive so I mean I could have been way worse off and I look back and I think I see these head injuries and concussions and, and you know problems like that and I think yeah. I'm I'm one of the lucky ones that it was only you know a couple of leg injuries I'm able to walk and you know I can go for very slow jogs and stuff like that so like I'm happy I'm happy You seem to have a very refreshing attitude about it because you see a lot of people retiring in their mid-twenties and Ash Barty was well, she similar attitude to yourself you know from tennis she, yes. she was a similar age as well in her mid-twenties when she, when she hung up the racket mm. but it seems that attitude is so important because I know a lot of people say and studies have probably said that when you're forced into retirement versus making your own mind up it can have an impact on your on your mental health of course but it's probably all about attitude you seem to have that aspect of it fairly sewn up yeah well, I didn't always I suppose like there was times there where I was really I was like had that kind of negative mindset about like like I was saying like why me and things like that but I, I would be a big advocate on you know mentality and, and mental health and things like that so it was sort of you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps get on with it and um, don't be like kind of you know you need that growth mindset people mm. always talk about it but it's like look these are setbacks but there's a silver lining to all this like I'm primed to sort of 
take whatever next step and excel at that because of all the things I've learned and the setbacks and my attitude and work ethic and things like that so like there's you know there's more positives than negatives to take from it but like I mean the last I suppose two years or a bit less maybe like there was obviously so many ups and downs but like it wasn't enjoyable you know r- rugby wasn't enjoyable for me because I wasn't able playing. to play <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. like I enjoyed rugby when I'm like going well and I'm you know on top of my game in good shape and that just wasn't there so like I I struggled um, especially for the last kind of season when I knew I wasn't getting um, this hamstring any better and um I was going in rehabbing and I was like this is just not getting better not getting better and it was quite um, dreary I suppose you could say but and look is there, I mean Is there anything that can fix a hamstring like you know in three years time could your hamstrings be fine? I'm not sure to be honest with you um, like by right the hamstring should be fine but for whatever reason the way the scar tissue healed it's just okay. I'm getting sort of constant pain with it but as I said I'm able to slowly jog on it which is fine by me I'm, I'm hitting the roads around Mullingar so, yeah. And did you like have, are you uh, looking on the internet for all the weirdest uh, complementary <laughs> yeah. therapies it's yeah. possible to get like did you did you go down a wormhole like that well like you do kind of but like I wouldn't be I'd sort of be a holistic approach myself so like I think you know get your mind and body right and your diet and things like that and I, I was nailing all that and yeah. outside of that like anyone I ask has their own remedy home remedy that yeah. their granny had for them when they were younger but nothing seems to be doing the trick just yet Um there's the horse bone man down in Kildare did you mm. like those kind of that you, type of thing yeah, yeah but nothing that has in any way interested me too much yeah. um, aside from getting re another surgery on it but like obviously the, the trauma your body goes through like not like mentally or whatever but like just going through surgeries like that I think you know you, you lose a lot of muscle mass and things like this just your body reaction to that sort of procedure is quite um, I wouldn't say it's too healthy getting it done the whole time no so no I'd definitely not it's slow to go and back so on the table when 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 the hamstring isn't re- isn't properly responding in the back of your head mm. there's a voice saying right this is it you need to start planning is that a straightforward conversation do you just accept that immediately or are you like no, no. it wasn't straightforward no uh, the, like it was completely I was like will I keep pushing it will I not will I is this for me is it not you know it's just like this constant conversation you're having in your head and I was talking to so many different people that I trusted and I know I wanted their counsel from you know the situation what do you think I should do and then ultimately the question is like uh, what what's good for me and what do I want to do so when I answered that question it was like it was it was relatively easier because I was saying as I was saying I wasn't enjoying myself playing rugby or you know rehabbing in Leinster Um, so that made it slightly easier because I was able to sort of step away from it with um, a little bit more ease I suppose you could say than if I was like this came at a time when I was you know playing for Ireland or something like that that uh, it would have been much harder because I was like very much in the mix but I hadn't experienced that in so long over two years that it was slightly easier but again I, I I was forced into the decision as well so and and the fact of the previous number of injuries as well, it just is. It's sort of. I don't believe in you know wishy-washy things, but like the universe sometimes might tell you something. And in, in this case, I think it After gave me enough. Had enough. Yeah. 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 Um, can we go back to like when you're breaking through? Because your story, it's not unique anymore, but it's still not the norm. Where you've got a GA background and I've come through um, not the traditional Leinster school system mm. what was your route to getting into the Leinster Academy um, yeah so as you were saying I went I played 
Mullingar rather than you know most of the lads in there would have played schools rugby so um, my school didn't really play rugby so it was like Gaelic football hurling and then uh, rugby outside after school um, on a Tuesday and a Thursday and play on the weekend so you Mullingar underage GA for Westmeath was it hurling yeah. and football or yeah I played both but I played minor football I sort of kept football going a little bit longer right. so um, played a couple of years of minor football and then um, I sort of like when they got to remember I was in the sub academy at around 19 I sort of was like um, how do you even get into the sub academy though how do they find you you play so the like the the club scene starts at about under 16s there's the Shane Horgan Cup which is regions of around Leinster and so we, I was in the Midlands region which was made up of Mullingar Longford Burr Tullamore okay you know Ross Gray I think I'm not 100% sure um, and they uh, so we play against other like northeast, metro, southeast, and they're all in in a competition. Play each other once, and then the top wins it. And then from that, you get picked for Leinster clubs. So then Leinster clubs is Irish clubs. So I had two years of that, right. and then Leinster and Ireland under nineteens, twenties. You know, and is somebody at that stage saying to you, "Here, listen, you 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 got the profile. You might be able to make it as a rugby player." Yeah, yeah. Well, kind. Of, I, I was always very self-critical of myself and quite you know, hard on myself in terms of performance and I'd always be, you know, beating myself up if I made a mistake, a couple of mistakes, things like that. So, like, I got a lot of, you know, you're good enough and, you know, just trust y- your ability and things like that and don't be, you know, get the right mindset sort of thing. So I did hear a lot of that and then it sort of slows down as you're getting on and on because, like, obviously you're getting older and older and it's like, well, maybe you don't have this massive future ahead of you, you know, sort of thing. So um, it's nice to hear when you're younger and stuff and I needed a lot of those pick-me-up sort of things. So. And when they ring you and say, look, we've got a Lancer Sub Academy position for you, what's yeah. that like? Just the conversation is sort of like, uh, it was Wayne Mitchell at the time was the academy coach in Leinster and he was like, we'd like to give you a sub-academy. And I was like, brilliant. Um, but it was not brilliant when you're doing it because it's seven o'clock gym sessions every week, every day of the week, followed by a pitch session before college. So it's like... Hard know, work. Mm. Well, I did two years of that, so most people just do a year. So I, I was, I didn't do TY, so I was like slightly younger than some of the other guys that going into college. Did you not do TY because you wanted to be a professional rugby player, was that? No, the, just the school didn't have TY. <laughs> okay, right. Fair <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, the uh, so yeah, I I got into the sub academy and then did and two you're in years college of that. at that stage. So yes, I right. was, that was when I was in Trinity, and then I was living in Clontarf. So it was sort of the dart line there. Yeah, from Harmonstown down was being used a lot by me. And so sorry about this, but so you're getting up every day at seven o'clock to go to training out in in Donnybrook. Uh, so in Donnybrook. yeah, I get the dart from Harmonstown to Sandymount, and then walk from Sandymount to Donnybrook, which right. is a decent. Now in the middle of winter, it is fairly tough. Like, yeah, to go and like lift weights and um, be shouted yeah. at and, yeah. then, and, and I then wouldn't you... really be a massive lover of the gym either so I've sort of taken my sabbatical from weightlifting when I, since I've stopped I'm doing the odd circuit and stuff but I'm not even going for PRs on the bench and then you squat. go into college to do it then I go into college right Okay. Most of the time, I didn't go in all the time. Okay, I was going to say you'd be a bit wrecked. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, I mostly go back and sleep on the couch. But uh, and then the second year of that, you're like, yeah, second year that that was tough. Now, yeah, you really yeah. have to want it to continue going. Yeah. Yeah. And are they saying we're going to keep you for second year because we think you're going to make the academy? We just need to. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like you're in bet- you're in a bit of limbo. Like I would have been probably not good enough to get into the academy straight away. I would have been very out of not very out of my depth, but I would have been out of my depth. And it worked because I did another year in sub academy and I was coming into that under 20 season 
um, with Leinster in like I, I played pre-season with uh, Mullingar Shamrocks and I was flying fit and right. I came back in and had a, a, quite a good pre-season with the Leinster 20s we didn't play as well in the Interpros but we didn't even win it but um, that sort of led into the Irish 20s then ok so you got selected for the Ireland uh, yes under 20s yeah. and that, that's uh, World Cup year is that right? that's the World Cup year yeah with Manchester that year so right. um, it was 20 um it would have been 2016 in Manchester, so... And you're getting game time for Ireland? Yeah, yeah. So we had the Six Nations, and I didn't get started the first few games. Um, it was Shane Daly and Jimmy O'Brien in the centre, so I came off the bench against Wales and uh, whoever we played, whoever else we played. I think I started the rest of the games then in the Six Nations and the World Cup. So, right. Um, it was a bit of a slow start, but um, yeah, we, we obviously had that away win in England against England in the Six Nations, which was a massive win. My whole family was there and very emotional, like beating England because um, we were obviously underdogs as well. Yeah. Um, and then so that then, team goes on and beats the All Blacks. Yeah, so then obviously in May or whenever it was, um, we went over to Manchester for the World Cup and got to the final. So yeah, beat the All Blacks, obviously very historic day. And um yeah, you just don't even like think back. Like it's such a you think this is going to be it now for the rest of my life, sort of thing. Like so, <laughs> I'm sure. Like, you, you, I rarely hit that sort of high again. But you you do start to believe that you're in the right position. That yeah, like, yeah whatever sure. uh, you know, whatever about not coming through the same route as everybody else, you've justified your your path to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was it was sort of like because you're playing in front of pretty much sold out. Now the stadiums were small. It was in the Manchester City Academy Stadium, and then the AJ Bell as well. So like there weren't massive stadiums, mm-hmm. but like that was your first sort of glimpse of you know the limelight. You could say because we got a lot of media traction over oh, here. Oh totally, yeah. So who else is on the team? Max Deegan, uh, James Ryan. Um, there's loads of Andrew Porter. They're all like kind of the Leinster lads. Jimmy O'Brien. Yeah. Will Connors was injured for the World Cup, but um, who else? Hugo Keenan. Um, not a bad team it was, <laughs> Decent, it was a yeah, good team yeah. Yeah. yeah we were quite under we went under the radar a little bit like the year before and a couple of years before like teams were sort of had really big names now there was big names on our team but for whatever reason they just kind of rolled us off a little bit after the Six Nations so we kind of we were losing at half time to Wales by um it must have been around 20 points I, I'm not 100% sure of the stats but and then we came back and beat Wales and Wales had won the either the Grand Slam or the just the Six Nations I'm not 100% sure if they went unbeaten and we came and beat them and that was like a shock these lads were walking around like you know yeah. the best and uh, we beat them and that completely like turned it around because at half time we were like you got lose, we're going to lose to the Wales we're probably going to lose to the All Blacks and whatever happens against Georgia happens but um, we beat them and then they went on we, we went and topped the group we went unbeaten until the final beat Argentina in the semis so it was a bit, that all changed from ha- that half time in the first game and did that change your life then as well in terms of like what the expectation was from you when you came back as somebody who could have an impact at that level in yeah, that team yeah I suppose it did like because I was playing adult rugby at the time with Clontarf so that definitely primed me a bit more because I'm playing against these lads and I'm like these lads are like 10 kilos lighter than the lads I'm playing against right with Clontarf like I was playing against good like Lansdowne players you know tearing your marriage to works like so it was like these I was playing against lads and I was like I'm, not, I'm you know this is 
not as hard as what I've been playing over <laughs> in Ireland. So um, now this was at the World Cup, and you know just things started clicking for everyone. It seemed like, and it just was unreal. And so when you come back from that, how, how close are you to getting into? Are you still an academy? At that stage, have you got a full-time professional uh, contract with Leinster? No, we would have, I would have known like a few months before the World Cup if, that I was in the Leinster Academy. So right. I was sat down by, I think it was Gervin Dempsey at the time, and being like, we'd love to offer you an academy uh, place. Right. So that's three years. And uh, so then we went to the World Cup and then got two weeks off and came back. And that was the okay. start of my Leinster like career in, in the Leinster building in UCD right because that's what happens you get into the, the, the full team first for, and how close are the academy players do they often get called up for league matches uh, well like it wasn't the norm but it is kind of now that right. you know I wouldn't say lads would be going in with a goal in first year academy to be playing a, ga- a, a league game but yeah. like it definitely happens so it's not like completely unheard of but like um, how long did it take you to play league um I think I was in my second year. I'm right. pretty sure. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, I think I think it was second year. Could have been the end of my first year, but I'm not hundred. Okay, so very much on target and like a little yeah. bit ahead of schedule. So, mm. um, and you're playing centre. Centre, yeah, twelve right. and thirteen, but uh, just twelve Leinster. Okay. For whatever reason, yeah, I sort of bolted up a little bit in that uh, after the World Cup. So I was just kind of more of a twelve than a thirteen. Okay, um, I was playing out half for a good bit of my under like eighteen career with with Leinster and Ireland. And then they just kind of kind of saw me as a centre from there. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Did you have a conversation about that, or was that? No, just I never did. Actually, probably okay. should, probably should have. Right. Next play. They always saw me as this big, you know, ball carrying centre. But like, I would have seen it as slightly different in my own head, you know. But it's yeah. that sort of like. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at, at that stage, you feel like I'm going to play for the Ireland senior team. I've been well, part of that'd this. That'd be a goal. Like, yeah. you wouldn't be going around saying it around. No, the of course, like, but it's realistic. Well, like you see the path that the people ahead of you have taken and it's like yeah I can do it like it didn't I probably didn't believe how close ability wise we were back then to the senior guys now looking back and I'm like I look at the academy lads and I'm like these guys are like maybe a couple of percent off in terms of like maybe their their mindset and their physique but other than that it's like the skills are pretty much all there and there's not a million miles and I think if just they could like and myself included back then if I could have just believed that and you are good enough and like you're not far off at all when you first step into the academy unless of course there's, there's certain players that are way off but not way off but uh, well they wouldn't have yeah. taken you if, exactly <laughs> so like you're usually getting the cream of the crop uh, going into the academy and stuff and then there's guys then as well like uh, Rowan Osborne say uh, he like he actually retired this year with, con- uh, with concussion so but he like didn't get into the academy and then went did his full college experience played with Trinity at the time and then he got into Leinster offered him a contract at the end of that because of how well he was playing so like there is different avenues as well you don't have to do three years in the academy and two years development and things like that anymore it's sort of if you're good enough they'll, they'll find you I'm just looking at your contract you were 2013 you were on the Westmeath minor team that played Mayo yes like in O'Connor Park yeah. if you look at the Mayo team from that from that day mm-hmm. like Conor Loftus Tommy Conroy Stephen Cohen 
uh, Kian Hanley was on it as well Matthew Ruan was on the bench like Dermot O'Connor I was marking Dermot O'Connor yeah. marking that. I was yeah. marking him yeah he was tough it was tough is that a sliding doors moment for you like trying to choose between when, when, you know, when you're playing sport a multiple, multitude of sports at a, at a high level was it a sliding doors, doors moment choosing which sport yeah to, to it was a bit I, the main the crux of it was the professional element of rugby like the, the money's good at the top and it's good to aim for whereas in GA it's slightly different like you might get a good job at like you know if, about who you know you, yeah. you might get a good job in Dublin or you know sort it out with expenses things like that but um, I'm a GA man through and through like that's <laughs> my number one like it always has been so um, it was a tough decision because if if GA if football was uh, football especially if football was professional like I would have picked football probably like, you'd so. be spending more time in Cusick Park than the RDS now then probably yeah but at the same time like it's I, I wouldn't watch too much rugby outside of playing it so like right. I, since I've stopped playing like I wouldn't I'd watch the odd game and then like any game the lads are playing in, with Leinster and stuff I'd watch that but do you think that'll change in time that you might be able to watch it a bit easier um, or is that it's not really that like I don't uh, I'm, I'm salty about it anyway it's just sort of like uh, I never really watched too much of it outside of playing it, it was, <laughs> that's sort of it like I like watching soccer I like, like watching football hurling a bit of F1 after watching Drive to Survive I think the whole <laughs> country does that the whole yeah. world does that but um, other than that like I wouldn't stick on rugby to chill How how close to the Leinster first team do you feel you got like for the big games? Um, uh, pretty f- far away far further away than it would have liked to have been like the the sort of the the playing squad or the the main squad is I like to call it the sort of 25 or 30 lads that are like in there thereabouts Um I was sort of never in that circle so right. sort of like now when I say a circle I mean like I was still like in the circle but not I was looking in from the outside in terms of playing yeah um, so I never quite reached that that stage because when I was playing that time like the run of games a few years ago um, I was still in the academy and stuff so like it's like they do it is sort of one big happy family in there but at the same time like if you're in the academy like you're in a, a dre- like a deferred dressing room and stuff like that but like yeah. it is integrated well like way better than most other professional environments I've heard of anyway so um, it's just obviously going to be a slight different you're, yo- you're younger they don't know you as well and things like that yeah so, so it takes it takes a bit of time yeah, to get the trust and to um, to get those and how realistic would it have been if, do you think to play Champions Cup um, were you maybe 18 months away from that uh, yeah like like if I kept going the way I was going and then maybe the season after maybe like that could have been a possibility like I, I think I'd the competition need, must be incredibly cutthroat yeah it's tough like um you obviously players last year. Yeah, like the centres were all internationals, like so Robbie and Gary and um, Joe Tamani was there at the time. I know they've Charlie Natai now, um, and then like lads coming up, you've like you know Liam Turner, David Hawkshaw, centre. He played. He's at Connacht now, obviously. Um, so there's a, a plethora of yeah. every position, and they're all nearly internationals, like four deep. So it's a, it's it's a cutthroat, as you're saying. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck. Um, you seem to have reacclimatised the civilian life quite well. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying all the the freedom. I'm like More a, ice baths. Yeah. Are you with uh, Niall Horn and Lewis Capaldi at the at Yeah, the I didn't meet them now, but I saw plenty of pictures. I think everyone had, has a picture on their <laughs> yeah. wall there. That, so. um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's good. I, I'm enjoying life, so...
Well, we wish you the very best. Thanks Thank so much for joining us in the studio today. It's uh, Conor O'Brien. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Joe is back tonight from 7. Uh, they'll also have the latest episode of A Slight Tangent. Dan McDonald will be on hand to look ahead to Ireland's game with Scotland this weekend. There's plenty more besides. We're back tomorrow with Vinnie Perth's tactical insight ahead of Ireland's game with Scotland. Lee Keegan on the new Mayo setup and plenty more besides. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.